What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Chad and John, the Two Man Power Trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie, Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling courtesy of Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz and John. As we approach our next-to-last show for 2015, we have quite a spirited episode as one of the members of the Spirit Squad from the WWE joins us. You may remember him as Kenny Dykstra. You may remember him as Kenny. But of course, you're going to know Ken Doan from the top to the bottom by the end of this show. And John, we talk about it all the time. We use the word epic to describe some of these longer form episodes. And when we say epic, we mean it in the funniest way possible because strap in folks, you are going to be laughing your ass off for about the next hour and 50 minutes because Ken Doan is hilarious. He is a amazing storyteller and from the top to the bottom, we really cover everything there is to cover from his run with the Spirit Squad to his post-Spirit Squad run and then everything that he's done in between and, of course, the amazing stuff that he's doing now just being highlighted by a WWE.com where they now article that just shows the amazing stuff that he is doing after leaving the wrestling business full-time. But you think about Ken Doan or Ken Dykstra or Kenny, whatever you want to call him, it's going to be hard to stick to one name. But when you talk about Ken Doan, you talk about the fact that he was so young when he was on the WWE's main roster and the fact that he was an absolute can't-miss prospect. You know, you think about some of those other guests that we've had on that were in other organizations that we say, well, you know, they were, could have been this or they could have been that. But this is one that WWE completely dropped the ball on. 
and I guess you got to start with creative because they're a huge part of you know the Spirit Squad coming to life and other things uh, coming to fruition for Ken Doan. But John, let me get your take on Ken Dykstra, Ken Doan, Kenny, and just exactly your thoughts on the episode and how the WWE dropped the ball on the man himself. Yes, Chaddy Boy back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And this one was another epic. Ken Doan, a.k.a. Kenny Dykstra, he came up to the plate and hit one out of the park. You know, our epic series, Jerry Lynn, Matt Morgan, Al Snow, Pete Gass. We've had so many epics and so many great ones. Kenny Dykstra, a.k.a. Ken Doan, goes right in there in that mix with... A fantastic episode. And you know what? Besides it being a quote-unquote epic and, you know, just being all around a great episode, it was probably the funniest episode, I think, that we've had on here. I mean, we've had some great ones with uh, Teddy Long and, you know, some and some great stories from uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and, and just some great, great funny stuff from all of our guests. But this might have been the funniest one. Um, even ACH, uh, you know, back uh, way back last year, uh, when we did his interview, he had us laughing a lot. But Kenny Dykstra probably had us laughing the most that we've laughed. And it, all of his stories about Spirit Squad, about coming into WWE, about leaving WWE, about TNA. It was just so much funny stuff. He's such a great talker and such a great guest. Can't wait to get him back on for part two. little teaser there. The, the part two, uh, you know, you will be clamoring for it, and uh, as will we. And we're going to try to get that underway as soon as we can because part one was so damn good. Now, what we really like to get into, you know, we like to talk about the, you know, how the guy got into the business, so on and so forth. He was so young to get into the WB, and his story with Dr. Tom and his mom and him getting into the WB at such a young age is such a great story, and that's near the beginning of the episode. You definitely want to listen to that one. That one's so funny and so good, and it's very reminiscent of the Hardy Boys who were underage at the time kind of uh, pretending they weren't and getting into the wrestling business and getting into the big leagues of the WWE a little too early, a little illegally. So he's got a great story about that. Then he talks about how Johnny Ace was wondering how he was 18, uh, you know, when they signed him, yet was wrestling for them for two years, doing dark matches and stuff. So that's a hilarious story uh, in and of itself. So that's some great stuff. And I feel like with him, he was a can't-miss guy. Kind of like the TNA guys we talked to, like Matt Morgan and Hernandez, who kind of had the start and stop booking and just, you know, kind of just completely flopped. Creatively speaking, I feel like with Kenny Dykstra and WWE, they kind of did the same thing. Start and stop. I mean, he had a long feud with the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Usually you feud with Ric Flair. Usually you're a tag team champion. Usually that's kind of the stepping stones to be... uh, Put up higher on the card, you know, go from uh, mid-card to upper mid-card, and then maybe the main event some days, you know, someday, who knows. But he definitely had a ton of potential, ton of athleticism, and I feel like out of all the Spirit Squad members, he was the guy that could have went the furthest, and um, I feel like that would be, you know, dropped the ball a bit there, and we do talk to him about that. But folks, you're going to love this one. It's not only hilarious, it is an epic. Yeah, I really feel like this episode needs its own wing in the Epics Library because it's just so funny. And I hate to keep putting it over like that, and, and I'm really not exaggerating. It was genuinely funny, and I just, I just kept on trying to hide that I was laughing because I, you know, I try to keep some kind of journalistic integrity, and it just it couldn't stop because 
he's just so damn good with these stories. And one person in particular that is going to stand out from this episode just as much as Ken Doan himself. And John, we got to talk about him. And that is period, end of sentence, Mitch. And if you remember Mitch from the Spirit Squad, you are going to remember Mitch for about a million other things afterwards. And did you ever think all the comedy associated that came with the Spirit Squad that Mitch would have been the funniest guy, albeit possibly inadvertently working with Shawn Michaels, working with Triple H, working with Vince McMahon, but it's Mitch that we end up just, we give him, he steals the show. We give him the platform, and Mitch steals the show. So, John, give me your impressions of what Ken Doan had to say about the man, the myth, the legend, Mitch. Yeah, you mean, you are totally right on this one. We got to talk about Mitch. I mean, well said there. Uh, Mitch, you know, period, (laughs) as you said, he was just one of the highlights of his interview, and we had no idea he was going to be one of the highlights of the interview. I mean, Kenny goes into such great detail about the Spirit Squad, about stories with Triple H, about stories with uh, the Heartbreak Hit Shawn Michaels, about Vince McMahon, about how the Spirit Squad got started, all about WrestleMania 22. I mean, we go into in-depth detail for, you know, the entire run there. But most important, like I just said, and like you mentioned, we talked about Mitch. I didn't know how much of a comedic character he was behind the scenes, and maybe inadvertently uh, one of the funniest guys in the business. And only really because he was absolutely, totally clueless. And he really, you know, didn't know what he was doing in the ring. He was terrible. He was one of the worst wrestlers, you know, that they had. But, you know, Kenny said he was part of the Spirit Squad. He fit in with the group. He was part of the team, whether anyone liked it or not. And he happened to be the funniest guy on the team, just kind of by happenstance, uh, without him really being uh, aware of it. The Shawn Michaels story with the eye poke and everything else, that is hilarious. You want to really, really pay attention to that one. That one's so funny. And then him talking about Triple H, and then if you want to go back on YouTube or WWE Network or whatever you got to do, watch DX versus the Spirit Squad on Saturday night's main event, and the the story that he tells about that is just so funny. And then when you go back and rewatch the match, it just makes it even funnier. So, Unbeknownst to us, and maybe unbeknownst to uh, Kenny himself, Mitch kind of was the highlight of the uh, <laughs> of the interview, just for a uh, comedic standpoint, because the guy was comedy gold, and he didn't even know it. So that is probably some of the best parts. And then, of course, you know, Kenny talking about uh, his TNA run was very funny. I mean, obviously, it wasn't really a run; it was really a one and done, but a run that could have been. And and what he thinks about TNA, and he did, does make some funny comments about John Cena and Mickey James, which obviously there was a lot of huge controversy involving them a couple of years ago. And he was engaged to Mickey for a while, so we get into that a bit. And then, of course, the whole run of the Spirit Squad from A to Z, we get through it. And then, of course, his run as Kenny Dykstra as well, and then his release, and then what he's doing now, which is just totally amazing. So really, you know, you got to listen to this one from start to finish. It is one of the best ones. It's definitely an epic, and it's definitely one of our funniest episodes. That is for certain. Very well said, and please, if you do like this episode, give us a little bit of a shout-out. Give Ken Doan a shout-out. Tell him you heard him on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Tell him how awesome his stories were. Because I'm telling you something, if we can get Ken on ASAP, we got a great thing in mind that we would love 
to bring to the audience of the two-man power trip of wrestling that could take some of these stories to another level. And we really appreciate Ken and the time he took to join the group of the epic participants in the epic series of the two-man power trip of wrestling. Now, John, before we move forward over to the interview, let's tell them a little bit about TopRopePress.com and the TopRopePress.com radio network. You can head over there and find exclusive best of episodes and some cool stuff headed their way in 2016. And actually this week, hey, why don't you go check out our old interview with Bushwhacker Luke from earlier in 2015, right off of his WWE Hall of Fame induction. But while you're listening to that, why don't you go over and head to MeowBox.com, where if you throw in the promo code POWERTRIP, 10 into the checkout box you're going to get 10 percent off your first monthly box subscription again the code powertrip 10 in all capitals into the checkout box on meowbox.com that's going to get you 10 percent off your first monthly box subscription courtesy of your boys here at the two-man power trip of wrestling and we always thank our good friends and the felines over at meowbox.com for their generosity here in 2015 now john tell them a little bit more about Meow Box, hit them with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business and send them on their way to the man, Ken Doan. Yes, Meow Box, baby. They are the best. They have a little service called One Box Can where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there and please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TNPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan Lariat Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan. Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back and he's in great shape. 
and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us for all that booking information on the big man. And while you're at it, go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts. And you too can be a member of the bike club. And now, without any further ado, the former WWE World Tag Team Champion, Kenny Dykstra, a.k.a. Ken Doan. Please enjoy. Kenny, Johnny, it's Nikki, Mikey, and we are the Spirit Squad. WWE superstar. He's a former WWE World Tag Team Champion. You might remember him as Kenny Dykstra. You might remember him as Kenny from the Spirit Squad, but we all know him as Ken Doan. And Ken, thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, guys. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate oh. it. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're really excited to have you on the show because, uh, actually, it's kind of funny. You know, we're about a week or so removed from the WWE.com article that really uh, kind of took off last week around this time uh, where they did a great piece on you, which I thought was very awesome of them. Uh, and it really gave everybody an up-to-date look at what you're doing. But we're going to dig into that a little bit more if we uh, if we can. But what did you think about the WWE.com article and really the big spread that they gave you about a week ago? You know, when I, when I did the interview, I was kind of like, you know, I was just honest. I tell them what I'm doing, and that's about it. And they were kind of surprised. I don't know if they thought, like, you know, I don't know what they thought. But they were like, really, you're doing all that? And I was like, yeah, that's just it's what I do. And they were like, okay, this is great. And I was like, yeah. But then when I saw it, like, I was nervous leading up to it because, like, you never know, like, what if they, it spins in a bad direction or I, I who knows, you know what I mean? So oh, when yeah. it came out, I was so nervous. I didn't even tell nobody about it because I was like, man, if it has a bad spin, I'm not telling anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, you never know. But then I read it, and I was like, wow, this is really good. I was like, it's exactly like what we talked about. It, not that I thought that it would, like, you know, I'm going to get Bret Hart screwdriver here. But, like, you just, you never know. You can never be too sore. It's uh, it was quite interesting, and like I said, it was very uh, it's very cool to see because a couple of years back, I mean, you know, you've been known to be outspoken about certain things, and for them to give you the spotlight that they did has been really, you know, it, it's just it may be a little bit reflective of some of the changes that are being made. Uh, so they say, you know, we've heard other guys who have done those pieces that they had that same feeling that you did going in, like, all right, uh, just tell them what I got to say, and if it leads someplace. You know, it does. If not, you know, whatever. But the fact that they were impressed with what you're doing now is probably the understatement of the century because I think all the readers are just as impressed uh, with what you're doing right now. Yeah. But before we get into that, uh, talk about the interview itself and how the WWE, you know, when you left there, um, you know, I don't know if you had a, a sour taste in your mouth because they just they kind of let you go, and we're going to get into that as well. But what did you think about the interview, and do you think possibly, you know, you never know, but it could lead to something down the road? Uh, well, I guess going back to a little bit when I left, I mean, when I left, I, I kind of knew it was coming. I mean, I had just come off tearing my knee and then like 
they had moved me from one show to the next show, and, you know, those are like telltale signs, and then you end up working, like, dark matches with new guys from developmental, and then, you know, it's just kind of like a process that happens. So you kind of expect it. So I, I kind of expected it when I got to the But at the same point, I, I mean, like I said in the interview, like, I knew, like, you know, there's more in this life, in this world than wrestling. You know, if you don't watch wrestling for one month, your life is not going to change. Thing like, you, you know what I mean? You're not, nothing dramatic is going to mm-hmm. happen. People ain't even going to know or whatever it be. So I knew, like, there's more to more to accomplish. But for the whole thing, like, even the interview, the way that came up, uh, it came up because I, I got chosen for the scholarship award. And before I had left WWE, I made it a point to go to, like, John Laurinaitis and Hunter and Stephanie. And I was like, you know, I appreciate that you guys do this for people who need it, like uh, like rehab stuff. But I was like, what about people that, you know, like, are doing the right thing? You know, they want to go to college. We should do, like, a scholarship thing. So I'd always pressed for that. And then finally when it came up uh, last year, I was like, oh, I'm totally going to get it. Because I, I feel like I kind of, like, helped spark the idea. And then they didn't choose me, and I was like, damn, like, how did that happen? So then, like, this year, I used to, like, write some essay and fill it an application and all that. So my essay was, like, I don't, honestly, it's probably a horrible essay, because I was like, it doesn't matter. They're not going to choose me. And then they eventually emailed me and was like, hey, you got it. And I was like, what? Like, last year's essay was great. This year's, I was like, what made you choose this one? So then they wanted to do the piece on me, and I was like, all right, let's see if this goes. So then... You know, they like me now. Who knows? Never know. I never dislike them. We always love each other. It's a love-hate relationship. We're like brothers and sisters. I'd be the brothers, huh? <laughs> that's, uh, that's really awesome, actually. I wasn't really fully aware of a scholarship program that they had. And that's, uh, that's, really, that's quite an accomplishment to, uh, you know, to get back in there and, and get their attention by the, uh, writing the essay. Now, do you see kind of a change in the way the business is being run since you left? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess it's more, they are, they, they do, they focus more on education aspects and they focus more on, like, when you leave the WWE, do something successful. I mean, it's just, it's bad because if you look in the past, you see people leave WWE, but they be, go on and they become, I don't know, you know what I mean? They go on and they mm-hmm. do what? I, who knows? I, I guess, like, a good example of, like, because I went to the Who Are They Nows before I did the interview because I just kind of wanted to see how they write it and, like, you know, there's so many different pieces to it. But I saw, like, Sean Stasiak, and he became a chiropractor, and I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Or, like, Jimmy Wang Yang, he's doing his own little business, and Victoria's doing her thing, and so it's great. It's good to see people are still doing I mean, you never want to go, oh, I, I'm doing nothing. You know what I mean? That's like, oh, Right. We shouldn't do this interview. So, you know what I mean? That's always be a yeah, tough part. Totally. Yeah, and I think I like more with... Wrote I, it stuff, so. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think more with the guys that are from your era um, of where they came through developmental and kind of the stuff you guys went through. I think you guys kind of seem a little bit more in tune with your post-WWE life, and that is really cool that they do open up some programs to guys, and when they spotlight you in the way that they did, it's really a, a positive thing. But specifically speaking, with the management changes, you know, and, and obviously over the last couple of years, uh, Vince's you know reign over certain things is definitely uh, diminishing, maybe slowly, but not all the way. But do you think that that's uh, something 
that down the road, as it diminishes, we're going to see other great things coming, like the scholarship program. Because, like I said, I'm blown away by the fact they can do something like that now. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it does have to do with the leadership thing. I mean, I know Hunter's very big on like you know protecting the boys and protecting things. And I mean, not to say that Vince was ever a bad leader. Vince is great. Vince is amazing. He built it to what it is. I guess he was always on the business side of things. He's never like a one of the workers, you know what I mean? So I guess Hunter knows what it's like to be a worker and build yourself up to that level. But he probably doesn't know what it's like to, you know, get released from WWE and then, you know, go and do your own thing. But I'm right. sure you can still relate to some aspect of it. So looking out for everybody, I guess that's, I would say that's more on him. But I also think, too, it has to do with a lot of the developmental, the leadership there. Because in Louisville, you know, Danny Davis and Jim Cornette, Paul Heyman, Al Snow, Tommy Dreamer, Storm, guys like that, Bill DeMott, they would stress, like, this isn't a long-term gig, guys. Like, this is short-term. Enjoy it now. Save your money, which you can, because eventually it's going to end. And they would always tell everybody, everybody's going to get fired at some point in their life, their career. No one's going to last forever here. Granted, you might think, looking at it now, that some people do, but, you know, nobody lasts forever. Everybody will get fired. And that is a you know great great point by you for sure, and uh, it's definitely true. And the funny thing is with uh, you in particular, you know some guys you're like okay they got released maybe they're you know some of them are a little old or you know maybe past their prime a little bit. You are almost getting into your prime now. It's crazy because you're so young. You know, do you think sometimes that wow you know you have so many years left to maybe even get back there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I do independent shows, and, like, I have fans that come up to me, and they're like, wait, why'd you leave? And I'm like, I, it wasn't really, like, my choice. Like, hey, I'm leaving today. I was like, it just it happened, you know? <laughs> I have 16 years' experience. I'm only 20 years old. I, I Even if I was on the roster now, I'd be one of the younger guys there. And at the same time, I'd be one of the more experienced guys there. So it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a weird, uh, weird combination there. So 16 years... 29 years old, youngest, and some of the most experienced on the roster. It's kind of hard to come by. but And it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm fat now. I'm not like I'm cape. I'm doing okay. Well, you almost look like, which is crazy to say, you almost look like you're in better shape. Uh, you know, I've been looking at some uh, some KD Fit stuff you got going on, and uh, it's crazy. You might actually be in better shape. I, I, am, in way, I am in the best shape of my life that I've ever been. I really am. Like I, I'm so strict on it, and uh, I just, I, I just can't. Like really, I got back to my house tonight at seven o'clock, and I was like, oh, I got to get back. So I kind of like skipped out on twenty minutes of cardio, just to make sure I got back in time for this interview. All right. So like, like I'm always going. I'm always going. Like, what are you doing differently now that you know you weren't doing then? Because um, it's funny, you and and even Matt Morgan, who, who we've seen, you know. You know, outside of the business, they got away from the business, and they're in better shape than they have ever been. Like you guys look, uh, obviously, I mean, amazing. Um, I think it's just having a little bit more time, a little bit more discipline. I mean, I think it's it's kind of like one of those things. Like when you get to the top of the mountain, people get comfortable, and they just, you know, okay, we're cool, we're content here. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I hate to use this as a reference, but I guess Edge would be a good one. If you look at pictures of Edge when he first got to WWE, then when he was WWE champion, you'd be like, oh, whoa. Like, he was in great shape when he first got there. I mean, he was still in great shape as a champion. 
but he just he might look a little bit better on the way out. In Dreamer, Dreamer's a good example. Dreamer loves cheeseburgers. He's there. He's content. He's happy. <laughs> I gotcha. And uh, it's possible maybe uh, Edge was doing something else, but you know, uh, we can we can only yeah, well, hey, you we never know. <laughs> we don't yeah, know right. Sure. There was no Doctor Black around then. <laughs> now then, you know, obviously then, you know, it was, it was a little bit different than it is now. What was the, you know, like the drug testing policy like, you know, in WWE when you were there? Uh, when I first got there, there, there was absolutely none. I, I don't know that there was one. If there was one, nobody told us in Louisville. So I, I have no idea. There was nothing because we didn't get tested at all. But then, like, after, once we got up on the road at the Sphere Squad, is when they incorporated it. You know what? I think it was probably after Eddie Guerrero passed away. I think that's when it might have came out. I can't be 100% sure on that. But I just know, like, eventually it did. And then, I mean, I was never worried about it. I was like, you can put me on the list every time. I'll, you know, I'll go to the bathroom for people. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> so, essentially, that's just kind of how that took off, I guess. But then if you, they would, I guess you would, do the urine test, and then after that, they would call you the next week or so, or two weeks after that, and say, pass, fail, you're fined for smoking marijuana, I don't know, however it worked. But I never heard anything after he would always go. I'd always go, and I'd hear nothing. i just assume, okay, well, I guess, I guess I'm doing good. <laughs> With, um, you know, your your career, obviously, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time maybe talking about the spirit squad like we talked about, but if I could almost rewind it a little bit, because you mentioned something that is, you know, obviously it's amazing, and some of the fans out there would be shocked by it, but you're only 29, 15 years experience in the business. Obviously, you know, you debuted around 2000, 2001, you know, around that time period. How did you get into the business at such a young age? Um, well, the training aspect was easy because I, I just kind of like bom- bombarded Bukowski with like, you know, I'm, I'm staying. I don't care what you say. I'm leaving. And I was scared to death of this man. And at the time I was 13, so I was like 150 pounds or something, probably like 5'10 or something. Now I'm like 220, 230, like 6'3. So, you know, he'd probably still kill me now, but at the time he could really kill me. <laughs> but like, videotape everything so every week I'd make like a videotape VHS and I'd send it to me and I would hear nothing back every week I was like they're going to call me and I'm going to be like raw and like in my mind every week I, like they were going to call me but they never did and then when I was 16 I was a junior in high school and I got a phone call and I got off the bus because I didn't have my license yet I got off the bus and my mom was like you got a call from Stanford she's like do you know what she's like your doctor called from Stanford and I was like, my doctor? She's like, Dr. Tom? And I was like, that's not my doctor. I was like, that's a different doctor. What are you talking about? I was like, what did you say to him? She's like, I didn't answer it because it was your doctor. And I was like, no, it's Dr. Tom. She's like, it's your doctor. I was like, no, it's not my doctor. It's a doctor, but he's a wrestling. She's like, there's a wrestling doctor? And I was like, mom, what are you talking about? I was like, let me call him back. So then I called him back, and he's like, holy kid. And I was like, I'm 16. He's like, how are you at And I was like, I'm pretty good. He's like, can you subtract two years off your date of birth? And I said, absolutely. I was like, I was born in 86. He's like, well, say you were born in 84. That makes you 18. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. He's like, I need you in Philly on Monday. And this was Thursday. And I was like, I'll be there. <laughs> so then I got a ride down. So then I did, like, I got to Philly on Monday for Raw. 
And I was like, you know, they're going to look at me and be like, okay, this kid's a bum, or maybe I'll do a dark match if I'm lucky. So then Sergeant Slaughter came out. And what was great was I used to work independent shows with him for another local promoter in New England, Mike Sparta. And then, uh, so he knew me. And I was like, Sarge, oh, my God, I didn't know you were we worked here still, like, backstage. He's like, yeah, I do. He's like, Good news, you're on Monday Night Raw tonight. And I was like, oh, like a security gig? He's like, no, you're fighting Rodney Mack in the White Boy Challenge. And I was like, oh, okay. But at the same time, I had, you know, called the school Monday morning, like, oh, I'm sick, and, you know, got my mom to do the whole calling for your kid sick thing. And then I ended up on Raw getting beat up by Ronnie Mack, and then the next night, I was in Baltimore, I got to work Ultimo Dragon, and I'm 16, by the way, and then after that, I leave from Baltimore, and I go all the way back home to Massachusetts, I meet the school at, like, 7 a.m., because I was exhausted, I made it, I walked into school as we're doing the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we end the Pledge of Allegiance, and my teacher goes, uh, Mr. Doan, he's like, oh, the principal wants to see you, and I was like, okay, I just got to school, I didn't do anything yet, you know, give me time, I'll mess up, you're preempting my screw-ups. So then I went to the principal's office, and he was like, I thought you were sick the past two days, and I said, I, I was. He's like, sick what? He's like, I saw you getting beat up on Monday Night Raw, and I was like, I didn't know you watched. <laughs> and he was like, well, I do sometimes. <laughs> so it was a real awkward conversation. I was like, look, this is what I want to do, this is my job, this is what's going to be my job. He's like, are you really passionate about it? And I was like, yes. He's like, if you can keep an A-B average, he said, I'll excuse those absences because they're work-related. I was like, you're <laughs> the best. So then, wow. every other month, yeah, WWE would call me, and I'd go, and I'd But what was great was I was a junior senior in high school, and every time it was cool because I'd do indie shows with Sarge, and he would book the matches, and he was like, you want to be on TV tonight? And I was like, heck yeah. So he took on, like, Sunday Night Heat versus The Last Storm. Sunday Night Heat versus Goldust, Velocity versus Tajiri, stuff like that. So it was cool. I was kind of like a little local celebrity in my school because every time I came back, they were like, oh, we saw you on TV. Like, this is great. That ended up uh, working for me, I guess. That's amazing. I was going to ask, what kind of a local celebrity did you become? Because, geez, that is an amazing story that, you know, you're a 16-year-old kid and you're wrestling on uh, Monday Night Raw and Sunday Night Heat. It's just uh, absolutely you know, a great, great story is there. Yeah, you had to have been a local legend. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like, we also, like, I guess the other time, another fun story would be WrestleMania 20 was one of the Druids. And that night after that, well, I guess a funny story about the Druids thing is we all had these flames and they cover them in, like, lighter fluid. And that was a, that was a, pretty solid cast of druids because it was me, it was the heartthrobs, it was Chad who was like one of the dicks or something like that and I want to say it was like somebody else but like that, those are all people who end up going to WWE like OVW and stuff, we up to the roster but we were all druids at the time but we got in there and Taker came and you know you don't really get to interact with that much so I'm like a 17 year old kid and then, uh, or actually, I was 18 at the time because it was like week my 18th birthday. And Taker's like, nobody burn me. He's like, if you burn me, this is going to turn real right on the ramp, and I'm going to kill one of you. And we're all like, oh, great. Like, <laughs> this is not good. Like, we're on pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden. Don't burn the Undertaker. So we had to, like, rehearse it like five times. But after that, John Laurinaitis came up to me and said, hey, dude, he's like, would you like to live in Louisville? And I said, I'll live anywhere that I can get paid to do this. 
and he was like, uh, he pretty much offered me like a job at that point, and I was like, well, can I finish school? He's like, well, what do you go to school for? And I was like, general studies, I guess. <laughs> He's like, college you go to? I was like, I don't go to college. I was like, going to high school. He's like, you've been working for me for two years, and you're in high school? I said, yeah. I said I was a junior, senior. I said I'm a senior now. He's like, why well, I never know about this? I was like, because I lied on my application. He's like, what the hell? He was like, well, we'll see what happens in uh, June. And I was like, in June, I'll move to Louisville, Kentucky. He's like, hmm. what makes you I'm going to hire you? I said, because you just tried hiring me now, so why would you hire me in June? Because now you're even younger than you thought I was. And then right. he just walked away. And then, like, May, June 4th, I got my contract. June 7th, I graduated high school. And then the 14th was my first day at OVW. So... I kind of knew at that point, like, just don't get hurt through April, May, and June, you know? Oh, yeah. Take it easy, don't get hurt, end up in Louisville. So, you know, you obviously you're in yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. What happens, you know, your first days in OVW? You, you know, you experience a lot of the uh, the big-name talent there. Did you kind of sense that you were in a uh, a giant, you know, shark tank down there? Uh, kind of, but at the same point, I wasn't worried because Kowalski told me before I left, he said, since he said, looking at the roster at OVW, he said, this guy's start there. He said, everybody there is a cookie cutter. He said, it's all cookie cutter tra- training here. He said, you're going to go there, you're going to be different, you're going to stand out. He said, just all you're going to do is do your thing. He said, and you're going to, you're going to get to the top of that place easily. He said, trust me. He said, you're a heel. He said, you're going to get there. They're going to tell you you're a baby face because you look like a baby face. He said, but you're really a heel. And the first thing that happened was when I got there, he said, you a heel or a baby face? I said, I'm a heel. He said, yeah, right. He said, you'll never make a dollar in business as a heel. And I was like, okay. I said, ah, I knew that was going to happen. So then they made me a baby face. But I would just do things differently. Like, you know, everybody there did things similar. Obviously, there are people there that, like, knew other training and stuff like, you know, Mercury and stuff like that, who was just above everybody else, you know what I mean, like training-wise, which at the time he wouldn't couldn't get a job, which was just trying. But anyway, so I would do things differently, and then, like, I wasn't the biggest guy there, obviously, so I knew I had to outwork everybody. But I did okay. I kind of held my own. Definitely, and, you know, you said cookie cutter. For sure... Some of the guys there were a little bit cookie cutter. But I mean, just the typical WWE mold, you know, the Batistas, the Cena's, the Lesners, the big hulking guys that Vince McMahon usually, you know, falls in love with and usually likes to push. Did you kind of feel like any pressure, like, oh, I got to look like any of these guys, or were you confident with what Kowalski had told you? Um, I was confident in Kowalski just because he had the backup, like the backing to support it, you know, like guys from Saturn to Triple H to Big John Studd to. A train to, I guess, China for that matter. You know, there's a lot of different sizes and shapes coming out of that, but they were, they were very unique. So I would do things differently, and I knew that, you know, I could do it their way, or I could do it their way with my twist on it, and it would not stick out. So that's kind of the way I approached it. Snooko was good at that, too. Uh, Snooko Jr. there, he was great at that. He was he stuck out. Everything he did, even in training, it was different. It was very unique. I just wish he got more opportunity up on TV, because he could have been, you know, I mean, he learned something, but I feel like he could have been so much more. Absolutely, and there were so many good guys down there, you know, when you were there, and you had Cornette at one point, then Cornette's gone for, you know, obviously some other 
reasons other than just being gone. But, you know, then Paul Heyman comes in. So there was a lot of kind of influx of either great talent or great minds. Did you kind of like the Heyman philosophy better or you like the Cornette style of wrestling better? You know, that's such a hard question because it's a complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, Cornette was so old school, but his way of old school worked 100%. And Paul Heyman was, like, totally new school, like, new technology, like, all that stuff, and it works 100% as well. So I feel like I was, like, blessed to be in the perfect time to experience all of Cornette and experience all of Heyman. And it was just that you, I learned so much in those time periods. I always said, if you if Monday Night Raw to Paul Heyman and you get Matt down to Jim Cornette, you would have two completely different shows, and you would have the greatest audience following there was. You need 20 writers for each show. You just give it to Heyman, and you give it to Cornette, and you have totally different shows. Absolutely. I mean, both tremendous minds for the business, but both have completely different philosophies on it. You know, that's for sure. Heyman more of, I, would, I wouldn't say more of a forward thinker, and, and Cornette's more old, you know, somewhat similar to that. Would you say that, uh, you know, Cornette's kind of more of that old-school Southern wrestling? Yeah, and there were certain spots they'd have us do in the match that you'd be like, man, this just seems kind of lame. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. But then you do it, and you hear the reaction. You're like, oh, my God, it worked. Like, he makes it so easy. And then, like, you know, Paul, sometimes it's like, you're going to bash his head in with the chair. Like, you're going to bust his eye open. <laughs> I mean, it all works. It all works. It's, <laughs> there were times where, like, in Louisville, you couldn't bleed on TV. This is a funny story. He might think you're telling you this. Might not be a Heyman guy anymore to this story. But, like, you can't bleed. And Danny Davis was like, don't you dare bust open Albright. When I was working with Brent Albright, we were doing, like, 30-minute matches. And I would make, like, 10 German suplexes. I don't know why. But I did. But the point of the story is, Heyman was like, he needs to bleed. And and Danny Davis was like, he, if he bleeds, everybody in that match is fired, including you. And I was like, I'm not making him bleed. So then we went back offense, and Heyman's like, here's what you do. He's like, if you punch him in the eye, eyebrow hard enough, it's going to bust. He's like, we can't get fired for an accident. He's like, they can't take us off me for an accident. I was like, okay, so I'll just sit you up. I was like, squint your face, and I'll like, just, you know, bop you in the eye. And he's like, okay, cool, that's great, that's a great idea. So we get to the spot in the match, and I'm like, here it comes. I was like, I'm going to really punch you in the face, though. <laughs> it's kind of weird telling your friend that. So then I'm like, oh, and I hit him, and then nothing happened. And I was like, hmm, maybe I hit him in the wrong spot. So I hit him again, and then, like, I was like, what the heck? Now I'm getting mad because being challenged by his eyebrow not popping open. So I like, hit him, like, four more times as hard as I can right in the face. I realized that I'm, I'm like, slowly knocking him unconscious. And he's just like, duh. And I'm like, oops, like, I forgot what we were doing now. Like, I'm really put you in the face, trying to make you bleed. It never works. You never have an egg on your face and you're tapped with it. I was like, we still got 25 minutes to go. <laughs> so, at the end, he never ended up bleeding. And Paul was like, why didn't you make him bleed? And I was like, do you, you punch him in the face and try to make him bleed? He's got thick skin. I don't know. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. And was he, uh, you know, a proverbial uh, crimson mask uh, by the end of that match? Absolutely not. It was just a big welt on his eyebrow. Because <laughs> I, I even went back to it. Like, ten minutes later, I went back to it. And it, it, it wasn't bleeding. <laughs> Did uh, Heyman get mad that there was uh, no blood? And you know, and what was it like working with uh, Brent Albright? 
it was great working with Albright. He's a great wrestler. Like, it was so weird. Like, sometimes people get, like, you look at, like, I always tell people, if you want to really watch some of my great wrestling, watch OVW. Like, that's when they gave me time. They gave me 20, 30 minutes. And I got to work with guys like Paul Burchill, Brent Albright, Chet the Jet, Bobby Lashley. Bobby also got a lot of time as well. And I was so grateful that me and Bobby had to put a match together on Raw. And that I actually, like, went to Vince and Stephanie and argued for. And that might have been the only time that they listened to me. But that was a great experience, too. But going to Albright, Albright was just a great wrestler. He just... He did things in the ring that you look at and you go, how, how does he do that? Like, like you can put together certain spots and imagine that you would never think of. He was like, he was one of those like Kurt Angle, Benoit type guys. You know what I mean? Absolutely, he was totally underrated, and we kind of don't talk about him enough on our show, quite frankly. But something that comes to mind specifically, as far as Albright was concerned, was. Albright and Punk had a very legendary feud down there in OVW, which is great stuff, and almost stepping away from Albright for a second and, and going to Punk, because Punk was the guy you worked, the guy you lost your OVW TV title to. So what was Punk like at that point? Uh, Punk, he, a lot of people looked down on him because he had a different style. I mean, he came with the Ring of Honor style, and the Ring of Honor style is nothing like the WWE style. Right now, it's slowly starting to like blend a little bit, but at that time, it was like, what is he doing? But I always liked it because it was different. I was like, I think he's creative. Like, I want to work with him because it's it's different. I know that what I know. I have no idea what I'm going to get, so it's always a surprise to me. And he has no idea what the heck he's about to do because he's just so random. But he does everything so smoothly that you know that he's not going. Nothing's going to get messed up in the match. So it made it fun. I liked working with him. I was glad I got the opportunity to work with him. Yeah, some of that He's OVW TV. It. Oh, totally. Yeah, and you could. I mean, obviously, we we've grown to know the passion of, of CM Punk uh, in all aspects of his uh, <laughs> his career. But that talent in OVW is just—it's on another level when you look back at the roster. I mean, just—and I'm talking post, you know, Cena and Batista. It's that that group of guys like I had referenced before with your crew, really. Just you guys—it was such a unique collection of guys, and uh, a couple of those guys are put together in a group. And we referenced once, and we're going to get into them now, and that is the Spirit Squad. And now we're going to talk the origins of it because we had Elijah Burke on the show uh, not too long ago, and we got his version of the Elijah Burke Spirit Squad. But why don't you talk about how they gave you <laughs> that gimmick, how that was approached to you, and what your thoughts were when it was first brought up. Well, the squad, it was like... We knew that there was some idea, like, I, I don't know who hears things first, but somebody does. But obviously the workers are the last ones to hear about anything. And there was, like, there's going to be a group. There's a group coming up. And we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to be, like, the four horsemen, and we're going to be something. Like, well, who knows what we're going to be? So then they sent us up there, and it was uh, Johnny Jeter, Nick Nemeth, myself, and Elijah. And I, I think Mitch, too, but I'm not sure. I think Mitch was in there. Mitch had just got cut from Tough Enough. He was like the first one out. And then they were like, oh, we're going to send him because he's entertaining. So then we get there and Vince was like, Taz was actually sitting in the corner of Vince's office eating or doing something. But Vince told us the idea. And Taz started laughing. And Vince just like looked at him real strictly and Taz like just stopped laughing like, oh, but maybe he's serious. And I started laughing too because I'm like, this is so funny. Like, maybe it's a joke. Who knows? And then Vince was like, all right, get out of here. That's the plan. You're going to be male cheerleaders. I want five male cheerleaders. 
And we're like, oh, man, like, really? Like, what are you going to do with male cheerleaders? And he's like, this is going to be great. You're going to get so much heat. And I was like, okay, I'll see a heat point, but what, what, what comes out of that? Like, what do we do? And like, we'll figure it out as we go. We're going to run with it. We'll try on house shows and stuff like that. So we're like, okay, cool. And we leave. And Elijah's like, nope, ain't going to happen. He's <laughs> like, what's not going to happen? The idea? He's like, me. I'm not a male cheerleader. I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa, don't shoot it down yet. I was like, if you shoot it down, they might shoot the whole idea down. Now we're all screwed. We're all back in Louisville for who knows how long. He's like, I'm just saying, Daddy. He's like, I can't be doing that. <laughs> I was like, dude, I was a, you know, football player. I was like, MVP of my team. I can't be doing it either, but I have to do it. Then it's like, dude, I'm, I'm, a, I'll stay, I'm an all-pro wrestler, like, most wins ever. I can't be doing this either. I was like, all right, we ain't backing out of this. Look, we got to do this. So then we were like, you know what? If that's what we want, we'll do it. So then I guess Elijah called the office and was like, look, to be honest with you, I don't think I can pull it off. Which, I, you know, I mean, at least, honest, at least he wasn't like, look, I'll do it. And then he gets up there and doesn't do it, you know. So I guess I respect him in that matter. But so then we were all trying to get Mondo signed. And, like, we were thinking, like, this is a great opportunity, like, for Mondo. So then we all, like, put in a thing and let Mondo do it the OBW so that way they would see it on film. And, and it ended up working pretty good. I mean, the first funny story, the very first time, well, actually, there's a, when you watch it, there's a reason why Mitch never wrestles. There's actually two reasons. One, because he had a torn ACL. And two, because, well, he didn't have to wrestle at all. But the, the ACL happened was the very first time ever we tried this idea. We did it in, I want to say Tampa, Florida. And it was just Mitch and myself. And I was working Chavo and Mitch was managing me. Now you got to remember, Mitch, he just, he's known wrestling. He's never been in a wrestling ring. He did tough enough to try it out. He got chosen. He got cut one week later. So that's, that's the extent of his wrestling career. Uh, even watching it. So he's like, I got an idea. I'll come out in the uh, Away. He's like, I'll yell your name. You come running out. I'll leapfrog you. I was like, okay, whatever. That's cool. I don't care. I'm I just don't want to screw up my match with Chavo here, you know? So then we do that, and as I go on for the leapfrog, I feel something like smash me in the back of the head. And I'm thinking like a fan has jumped the guardrail and is now trying to pick this up. And I look back, and he's laying on the ground, and the crowd's laughing at him. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's like, I tore my ACL, man. ACL's gone. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what just happened? He's like, I tore my ACL. I was like, get your ass up. Let's get to the ring. So he hobbled on the ring. And then Chavo's like, what happened to your guy? And I was like, he tore his ACL. And he's like, I don't know that happened. I was like, he leapfrogged me. And I was like, I was watching the monitor. Nobody leapfrogged nobody. I was like, get in the IOA. He's like, oh, you jackasses. I was like, yeah, let's just wrestle. <laughs> so then we did the match. And then the next night, actually, last. There's another wrestler in Tennessee, I believe. He did TNA. He did a cheerleader gimmick in TNA. He actually was part of the gear squad for one. He filled in for Mitch because he was there, ironically. And they were like, all right, you're going to be on the house show. You're going to work the gimmick. So that's like an untold story that not many people know. Laz from TNA actually ended up being uh, one of the spear squad members. Honorary squad member for one day. So then after that, they were like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh no. So I didn't know. I'm shocked. I did not know that. But that's that's unbelievable. Keep going, please. Yeah. So then, like uh, after the little house loop, we get back to Louisville, and they still haven't hired Mondo. They still like no Mondo in the squad. 
for them to get back there, and they're like, we're not going to do the Spirit Squad anymore. It's a stupid idea, and Mitch tore his ACL. I'm like, this whole thing can't ride up Mitch. I was like, screw Mitch. Like, he's got a bad knee. Put him in a race, and he'll be fine. Like, who cares? He's not a wrestler anyway. Did you really? There's five of us. We can work around it. And then they're like, well, who's the fifth one? I should quit. And I was like, Mondo, we got to put Mondo. So they're like, all right, let's try this house show loop again. So they put me and Mondo together. Mondo manages me. I work with her the whole weekend. Funny story during that loop, the the last show we did, the pants that we wore had buttons. I had the seamstress sew mine the week before. But Mondo never got sewn. So Viscera, I was like, hey, let's switch up the match on Sunday. Like, you hump Mondo. But by the way, his pants aren't sewn. So if you grab the back of them and rip them, I said, they'll totally unsnap. And he'll be like, in his bare underwear. <laughs> so then we came up with another spot, too, where Mondo would, like, you know, he'd get crotched on the rope. And I was like, dude, you have to wear, like, something tight, like a thong type thing. So that way, you know, you don't want to mess anything up. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, like, we went out to the store, Walmart, before the show. He bought, you know, whatever to keep his stuff protected, not knowing that I'm setting him up for, you know, this whole scene later. So then we get to the spot in the match, and this gives me, like, the boss man slam. And Mondo comes in. He spine busters him. Mondo rolls over. He grabs the back of his back, and he just rips him right off. And Mondo looks up at me, because he knew that I was the only one that knew that they weren't sewn. And he looks up at me, he's like, you son of a... And I was like, gotcha. <laughs> and this just landed on him. <laughs> he just started doing the viscera hump to him while Mondo's like in song. And then Mondo did like the Bobby Heating exit from WrestleMania and just took off running. So, But eventually, then Fear Squad started coming about, and they started liking it. And they flew us into, I want to say one of the Carolinas, and they weren't sure about it then. So we all had this idea that we were going to wait in Vince's office. We're going to wait. And when he comes in, we're just going to blow the air horn in his face and do a cheer. And that was all we had planned, really. And we're like, you're either going to get fired or it's going to work. And we were like, well, we're tired of, like, messing around. We want to know. Like, we, we don't want to be in developmental. So then they were like, he's up in the production meeting for a while. And we were like, all right, let's go find it. Let's go break in. So you know, you don't want to mess with that because they're booking the show. So then we just bust into the production meeting for the air horn. We did a big cheer, and then we all just kind of stopped and was in our position. Luke and Vince looked up, and he was like, great, you'll be on Raw next week. And we were like, okay, everybody out, out, out. Don't make him change his mind. Everybody get the hell out of here. Like, leave. So then <laughs> then the next week, they flew us into Charlotte, and we debuted on Raw. Wow. That's, that's uh, kind of that's how the whole squad what a great yeah! What a great story that is. Uh, that's crazy. And just to even start with, you know, talking about Elijah, that's exactly how he said it. He really he saw himself as you know, quote like a token member of the team, and he didn't really like that portrayal. But so you guys debut, you get there, and just you want to talk about heat. You want to talk about live TV. I mean, from the second that Mitch got out there, and you know, that's very funny that you what, what you said about Mitch earlier and the fact that he didn't compete, but. When you guys came out there, what was your reaction to that hot, live Charlotte crowd? Uh, uh, it was very, like, nerve-wracking. It's like you don't know how people are going to take to you. And the first time we went out, they were kind of quiet at first, but then after a while they were just kind of like, what the heck is this? I think people had more of the, like, what is this? Like, is this even a gimmick? Like, what is this? What is going on here? So then after so many weeks, of people were like, oh, my God. And like, it was hard at first because – you're not exactly sure what you want. They say, go be a male cheerleader. So you, that you, you're trying to be like a real cheerleader. But then they're like, all right, guys, 
don't don't get so real into the cheerleader game. Go out and just have fun. And when they said that, oh, we just took it to the next level. Like they they told us, there's nothing you can do that will be wrong. So it was almost like if you ever watch like old DX videos of Sean and Hunter from back in the day, how you can tell that they're just goofing around and having fun. That's literally what we did for like ten months. It was just every night. It was just, we would try to do the most stupidest thing to make each other laugh, but the crowd would. You know, the crowd would eat it up. And there were actually some towns where people would cheer for us. Like, the stupidest things we would do, they would hear. And it would be from, like, bringing bingo dabbers and, like, hitting highlighters in the head with them or, like, trying to catch Big Show with a sandwich. I don't know if you guys ever heard that story. No, we were working ahead. Big Show Kane. Oh, we were working Big Show Kane. And, like, it was a Sunday show right before Raw, so we were like, hey, let's have fun this show. We worked Big Show and Kane Friday, Friday, Sunday. Sunday, let's have fun. So I was like, Nick, you're going to finish that sandwich. And he got like a foot long from Subway. He's like, yeah, later. I was like, can we have it, though? He's like, well, what's the plan? And I was like, Mitch, you can make a lot. So you're from Texas. So me and Mitch went in the, the ring truck, and we got a huge microphone cord. And then, like, so we get to the gorilla position at the, you know, live event. So we always had a thing in the squad. We'd always take a vote. There's five of us, you know, strength in numbers. If it's three to two, we go with it. So Johnny and Mondo get up there, and I see uh, Nick, Mitch, and myself with a lasso and a sandwich. And like, what are you guys doing? And I was like, we're gonna catch the big show. They're like, Sir, does he know? And we're like, no, he has no idea, which just makes it great. And they're like, how's he gonna take to that? And then they play the music. I was like, who cares? Let's go. <laughs> so then, like, we get out there, and they're doing the cheer, and me and Mitch are setting up the lasso. So you know, I show the whole crowd the sandwich, and I put it right in the middle. The crowd's laughing, but apparently Big Show, like, Big Show just woke up as he's explaining because he was in the back sleeping. So that's how they knew he had no idea about it. So Kane comes out, and he's standing there at the ringside before he gets in. He's And he yells at us in the ring. He's like, show's going to kill you. He's like, he's not going to be happy about this. So Big Show comes out, and he sees the sandwich, and he's like, oh, very funny. But he doesn't see the last, though. So he picks up the sandwich and he throws it at us, and we throws it at us. All five of us are outside the ring, like pulling the lasso. He looks down, and then he looks up at us, like shocked, and it like wraps around his legs. And he jumps out of it at the last second, but it trips him, so he falls and hits the ropes like Rey Mysterio, hitting like the bottom two. And now the crowd is dying laughing. And he gets like shoot mad. He gets jit mad. He chases us around the ring for five minutes. While this is going on, Kane's just standing in the middle of the ring saying, come on, guys, let's go. Like, so calm, just, like, nonchalant. So he can't catch us because, you know, we're half the size of him. And then he gets <laughs> ring exhausted. And he, like, he doesn't have the microphone or anything, but it's clear as day. And he's like, everything we did all weekend is changed. This shit's for real. And we're like, and that's like, ooh, like, this is going to be a real match. <laughs> so then, <laughs> It ended up working like me and Johnny versus Show and Kane. So Show gets in there and he like chopped the heck out of Johnny. And he throws him in the corner. And I did the, uh, you know, I was like, I want Kane. Do you want to see me versus Kane? And the crowd knew what I was doing. They're like, no, 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 no. You've got to go against Show. I was like, oh, no, this ain't good. <laughs> so I'm like, easy, big fella. So, you know, he ended up chopping me too. And then, like, at the end of the match, we all feed in choke slams. You see all five of us run to Kane. Show's like, come on, what has to come to me? So I'm like pushing people toward Big Show, and I like grab Kane's hand, and just blatantly put it on my on my neck. And I was like, quick, choke slam me. So I didn't want to get one of those from Big Show. He was kind of mad. 
Wow. That's unbelievable. Again, another, you know, that's a great team, especially for that era. And you guys were a standout when it came to taking on those big teams because of how much you could move around. But those house shows seemed like they were something uh, just as uh, just as memorable as anything you guys did on TV. Did you like the house show freedom a little bit more? Oh, God, we could do so much more. Like, there were times where they, the agent in the back would say, like, gosh, like, after the show, they would stop everything, and, like, the other workers in the back would watch it, and we'd rewind it, because, like, we'd work next to the main event. But, like, when we, before, you know, when they came out, the lights went dark, and their music would play. But as soon as the lights, the lights went dark, we'd, like, start hitting moves on each other, like the rock bottom, and, like, we would just, like, go after each other, and hit, like, every move, like a stutter or something like that, and, like, our was Boys, did I see somebody give somebody a stunner in the dark? And we're like, what? No, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that's how obnoxious it was. We would just mock things. We'd do, like, the people's elbow or, like, the pedigree or something. Just obscene things. That's, uh, no, that, and that's then, so like, cool. House, now, you know, we'd also, oh, go ahead. Uh, the house shows, we'd also rib uh, Mondo a lot because we'd, like, walk around backstage with our singlets down because we wore the singlets under the pants. So we'd always tell Mondo, like, yeah, we're wearing the white ones tonight. So he'd wear the white one, and then as soon as we got the gorilla, we'd put them up from our pants. It'd be, like, all green, and he'd be the only one sticking out with the white one. <laughs> he'd get so mad. He's like, what the hell? Why do you guys do this to me every night? <laughs> <laughs> that's not. It's not that's so cool because you guys had such a great chemistry. And you mentioned DX, and well, let's get into DX now. You're approached, I'm sure, by somebody. You know, you said you're told – you know, uh, last to know, first to uh, first to go. But you know, DX and Vince McMahon and the McMahon storyline. The Spears Squad was indoctrinated into that. What's going through your mind when you find out you're going to be working with Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and not only Shane McMahon but the chairman himself, Vincent Kennedy McMahon? Well, what's great about that is the way that it came about. Like we would, we were going on a roll, and like WrestleMania leading up to WrestleMania, like they. There's a schedule in the back, and it says, like, okay, this match, you're going to go through rehearsal at this time. And you go through rehearsal about three, four times a week. So we went through it all the whole week that we ran out for Sean versus uh, Vince in that match. So then, like, the last day we get there, and I guess they were trying to keep it secret, too. So then, like, Sean's going over the spot, and we're just kind of sitting there. And, like, we were always just, like, big fans of it. We would cheer for everybody. We were just – we turned into just, like, fans who they let backstage and who they let in the ring and wrestle and wear belts. That's pretty much what we became. The only difference is we were actually new to wrestle. But anyway, so Sean's like, okay, so I'll get to this point. He's like – and then walk through the match. He's like, I'll get on the – I'll put you on the table, Vince. He's like, I'll come up to the ladder. He's like, I'll do the DX thing. And we all popped. All five of us went, oh, like the circuit. <laughs> like we started doing it in rehearsal. Meanwhile, in this whole big room, it's just us, Vince, Sean, and Michael Hayes. All three of those three look at us like, hey, idiots, knock it off. <laughs> and we're like, sorry, sorry, we're excited about that. And Vince is like, this is who you're working with afterwards. And we're like, DX? We're like, DX is coming back? And Sean's like, shh, quiet, don't tell nobody. We're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Like, do the thing. And all, all five of us are, like, doing the cross chop outside the <laughs> ring. <laughs> and Vince, like, just shook his head. He's like, what is wrong with these guys? Sean's like, trust me, this is going to be a great feud between us. So that's, like, but then getting to work with them, it was amazing. It was just, 
every night it was just fun. Like, they're fun guys, especially in that character that they play. Like, it, it was cool because we didn't have to look like the game, like, you know, the Sean who lost his smile. It was like we get to work the fun group. We get to work fun Hunter and fun Sean. So it just became like a comedy show every night, and it was just who can have more fun, us or you guys. Like, that became the challenge. But at the same point, we still put on good matches, and we told good stories, and, we, you know, we got the storyline across. And it's definitely pretty cool to be a part of the storyline, which was, you know, the return of DX, and, you know, be paired in there with uh, Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon being involved. It's pretty cool. But what was it like, if you rewind just a tiny bit, uh, with WrestleMania 22, you know, the Shawn Michaels-Vince street fight, you know, do you have any uh, fond memories of, you know, that match and interfering and it becoming a, a pretty good, memorable match? Yeah, uh, I mean... When I when they he threw me over the top rope and I got to do the whole plancha onto the group, that was one because I was like he was like you sure you can make it over the top rope and I was like dude I could totally do that I was like I can slam dunk a basketball hoop I can do that, but then like the whole time I'm thinking like okay you only get one shot at WrestleMania you don't want to trip and fall or, you know it, you can't go back and redo it again if you either you become like a great moment of WrestleMania or you become like a a flop or you know. So lucky, luckily it ended up coming out that way. And then I also got to hit my leg drop at WrestleMania, so that was a cool thing. So it kind of worked out well. It was a great moment to be part of that match and to help, uh, you know, help Vince McMahon. Also, too, working with Vince was fun. We'd always try to, like, when we would work with guys, we'd always make a bet amongst five of us of who can make the opponent laugh, like, in the middle of the match. So like, I would do stuff like we bump feed and spill out, and I would jump on the apron and yell like, "This is supposed to be an exhibition or something ridiculous from like Rocky or something." Like Nemeth Nick, he would ask Shawn Michaels, "Where's Jim Powers?" or you know, just random stuff. <laughs> so like when we did the WrestleMania bit, they had the uh, I forgot what it was. They had the the picture of Vince McMahon broken over his head, and it, it might have been Jeter or Mono. But when they took it off his head, they slapped him in the face, and they're like, "Do you need a micro pro?" <laughs> when they told me this, I was crying, laughing, because I was like, "Oh my God, wouldn't say!" And they're like, "He didn't react." I was like, "Man, he's good." Like we couldn't crack the boss. Luckily, <laughs> he didn't ever... take that to heart. Oh yeah, oh god, yeah. You guys got lucky on that one. But did he ever? Uh... Big show. We used to call him Captain Insano and all this other stuff. Oh, that's awesome. you ever catch any heat from Big Show or Vince, you know, behind the scenes after you said it? Uh, no, no, never. Well, actually, the sandwich incident, Big Show was like, pouting backstage. He was like, you know, people always call me big and fat. And we're like, you are big. And, you know, like, come on, man. You're you're a giant. Like, we have to catch you. But he he got, like, real soft about that. So we had to apologize and all that. But then, like, the next week, it was the pay-per-view, and Taker came by, and he was like, hey, I heard about the prank. Because he was on SmackDown. He's like, great job. It was like, sweet. <laughs> like, he liked it. <laughs> like, oh, that's good. He likes it. JBL loved it. And the show's like, you know, one time in Germany, JBL played Switch My Music, and he made me come out the trek. And I was like, who cares? Like, dude, you're a giant. Like, that that's your biggest concern in life, is coming out this, you know, I'm a believer. Come on. <laughs> He's a little, little sensitive, uh, you know, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he got sensitive about it. Like, and we're trying to apologize to him while not laughing at each other because of what just took place and the fact that we're apologizing to a giant over a sandwich. 
did uh, you know? Did he get Undertaker's approval a lot? Because you know he's the quote unquote. A lot of the boys said he was the you know the locker room leader then. So was it good getting his approval over everyone else? Oh, because you knew like if it ever came down to it, if he has, if you have his approval, the end result is you can't lose if, if anything ever happens. And that you know, as long as you get on his bad side. But I was always on his good side. Like I've never had a bad incident. I mean, there was one time where I said something that I don't think he liked, but, like, this is when we found out that he was dating Michelle McCool. Like, we got back from an overseas tour, and she was sick, like, sick the whole flight back. So we landed in New York, and, like, the bags come out, and it was like a zebra bag, and I was standing next to him, and I was like, whose bag is this? I was like, well, travel with a zebra bag. And he, like, looked at me, reached out, and grabbed it, and then he walked over and gave it to Michelle. I was like, I like zebras. It was cool. <laughs> he just like smirked at me. He just smirked, shook his head, and walked away. That's kind of like that was kind of like reassuring. Like oh, he's not mad at the comment. He realizes like, oops, I messed up. <laughs> that would have been bad, you know, if uh, if he got mad at you for that. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know. Like, you know, who knows? It's a bad, whatever. But that's kind of how everybody's like, wait, is he with me? We're cool. And then then, then it all started to make sense. And, you know, but other than that, no, I never was never any issue uh, with him. Tigger was always cool. Uh, I know, like, some guys on SmackDown, I wasn't a fan of the squad. Actually, some guys on Raw, like Caden Murdoch, they didn't like the squad. But it might have been because we had the tag titles. I don't know. They were a very talented group, but we just happened to be chosen to work with DS. I mean, they worked with them sometimes, too. But I guess, you know, DS has to be the five guys, not two guys. That is very, very true. And obviously, you guys being the tag champs at, at one point, you know, definitely putting you up on the map, put the stamp of approval on you guys. And did you feel when you were the tag champ that that was kind of like a vindication that the, you know, the spirit spot was definitely getting over? Yeah. I mean, I feel like people were like, oh, it's a, such a stupid gimmick. But I mean, I mean, it's a gimmick that, that people always remember it. People like it, they love it. Like, if I do indie shows now, I try to do it. I always tell them, like, can I do the squad gimmick? It's just, it's more fun. It's easier. It's, you know, I'm not have, trying to have a serious match. I mean, it's a legit match. It tells a story. But I can also be goofy in it. And the fact that we won the tag belts and held them for so long, and we, you know, we made it in a pay-per-view and all that. So, I mean, I, I thought it was. It's like Eugene, you know? People go, well, what's Eugene? You know? It's still relevant. People love that character. They may not love the Sphere Squad, but they love the idea of it. Absolutely. And what was great about the Spirit Squad was the guys that you guys get to work with and the caliber of guys that, you know, they were confident in you guys so much. Like, so they bring back DX, you guys feud with DX. And then even feuding with two legends like Rick Flair and uh, the Hot Rod, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yeah, that was that was amazing. Even the Survivor Series gig. Although you know what you know what's about Piper, I didn't know that you couldn't body slam him. So like, there was one night I think it might have been for Sunday at the pay per view. Nobody told me you can't body slam him because of his hip. So like I was like this guy's so easy to work with. And I was like body slam. He's like yeah right. I guess he thought I was joking. And I was like no, take a body slam. So I like literally picked him up and I'm like why are you so stiff? Like why are you so heavy? And in the back, he's like, what the hell did you body slam before? And I was like, what do you, why not? It's just, it's, it said it. Then he's like, 
no, you're not supposed to body slam me. Like, why did nobody tell you? And I was like, did you guys know? And the squad's like, yeah, we knew. And I was like, why did nobody tell me? How did I not know to body, not, don't body slam Piper? I don't know this. Nobody ever told me this. Where was that when this happened? They're like, oh, I think you were eating or something. I don't know. Thanks for relaying the message. Although, you know, you want to see a funny thing. This one's easy to find, and you'll actually see it. Uh, what was it? Saturday night's main event. We worked with DX in the cage match thing. Or mm-hmm. it's like you get eliminated, you get thrown in the cage. Yes. So, like, the whole match leading up to it, first of all, the backstory, you'll notice that Mitch is wearing a white Under Armour shirt. Now, Mitch is crazy. Mitch shows up to the arena. His back is, like, bleeding. It's all raw. We're like, what is wrong with you? He's like, I, got, I was doing a wheelie on my motorcycle the other day, and I, and I peeled out on the highway. And we're like, what? Why didn't you tell me what? So they're like, all right, you have to wear a white Under Armour shirt underneath your singlet. And he's like, okay, that's cool. So then Sean's like, all right, this kid does not have to wrestle. He's like, so we got to get him in, and we got to get him out. And we're like, okay, cool. Sean's like, how long have you been training? And Mitch, Mitch had, like, the southern accent, like, Texas. And Sean's like, how long how long have you been training? He's like, training for what? I did a 5K a few years ago. Sean's like, you idiot, like, <laughs> For wrestling, we're in the middle of a pay-per-view. It's Saturday night's main event. What do you mean for a K? So he walks away upset. Hunter's laughing. Hunter's like, okay, Mitch. He's like, how long have you been in developmental? Mitch's like, well, never really. He's like, they sent me there, but then send me up here. He's like, so now I'm a tag champ. And Hunter's like, okay. He's like, here's what we're going to do. He's like, you come in the We get shot. They get shot in the corner. Because you come in the ring. He's like, you just come over and you... Do something to me, like distract me. I'll get in the ring. They dogpile Sean. Sean fights out of it. He super kicks you. One, two, three, you're out. And Mitch is like, okay. And Mitch is like, I think I should do something before I get over to you. And I was like, no, you don't think nothing in this situation because you have no training, so you're not allowed to think. He's like, you just <laughs> listen, you follow. And we're like, Mitch, shut up. Just do what he tells you. And he's like, I'm saying, maybe I should like punch Sean, give him a kick. He's like, I have a good punch. And you are not touching me. He's like, don't even look at me. He's like, get in the room, go to Hunter. And we're like, Mitch, just do it. He's like, I'm just feeling it, and I think I should pass face him. And we're like, whatever. So, so the match, this is like the beginning of the match, by the way, too. We get Sean in the corner. Actually, on the way to the ring, Mitch pulls me aside. He's like, I'm going to pass face him. And I was like, whatever, do what you got to do. Our music's playing, so I'm getting my you know, gimmick, doing my thing. I guess I shouldn't have said, do what you got to do. So... Mm. You know, Sean gets in the corner, she gets tagged in, Mitch goes, he goes to pie face Sean, but he trips, and his thumb goes about not deep in Sean's eye, and then Sean, like, loses it, Sean starts swearing, and if you watch it back, you'll see Sean comes to the corner, legitimately swinging at Mitch, and me and Mondo grab him by, like, the belt buckle and pull him back in, like, whoa, calm down, buddy, (laughs) like, settle down. By Sean doing all that, it now threw Mitch off. So Mitch goes and stands next to Hunter in the ring. Hunter's on the apron. Mitch he's like, I think he's mad at me. And Hunter, you idiot, you better like slap me, do something. Like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me? Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> so then finally Mitch comes out and Sean gives him like the stiffest super kick you'll ever see. <laughs> And Sean's like, afterwards, Sean's like, listen, I'm a born-again Christian. I shouldn't have been swearing the way I did in the ring. I apologize. And we're like, dude, like, it's okay. He's like, but why did you thumb me in the eye? And Mitch was like, that wasn't my intention. 
Sean's like, didn't I say don't touch me? He's like, I was feeling it. Sean's like, you darn it. You've been in the business two weeks. You can't feel a thing. So that that's just a great little piece to watch. Saturday Night's main event of Mitch doing his thing. Another story about Mitch is, you know, talking about getting heat. We were in a, we were going through a toy store. This is when we heard, like, our action figures were coming out. So Mitch walks by, and he sees, like, uh, you know, all the wrestling action figures. And we didn't see ours yet. And he's like, hey, guys, come look. And we're like, what are we looking at? He's like, why is Tank Abbott wearing pink? And we're like, Tank Abbott wearing pink? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, look, dude, that's Jimmy Evil Neidhart. Like, who's that? And I was like, oh. I think you're a tag team champ. You don't know Jimmy Evil Neidhart? He's like, no, that's Tank Abbott. Like, that's not Tank Abbott. It's <laughs> like, get away. He's like, get out of here. You're going to get us more heat by the, the guy working at the damn store. That's I was like, nobody tell anybody that story. Yeah, it was just the most random things that could happen would happen with us. That's so funny. It's almost like you got to get Mitch out of the spirit squad. He's, he's going to end up getting you guys killed. Oh, yeah. Like, he would get heat from everybody because of the simple fact he had no training, never watched wrestling, didn't even care. He was just like... I don't know. The company said you won a million dollars, so I was like, I might as well try. He's like, and now I'm here. I'm on TV. Like, it happened that quick, huh? He's like, yeah. He's like, a month ago, I was, you know, at a bar, hanging out with my buddies. <laughs> I was like, dude, like, you fell in the most, like, the best situation you could possibly fall in. <laughs> but, yeah. Was that ever, was that ever, like, uh, like, disconcerting to you guys? Were you ever, guys were ever, like, mad at him? Because obviously you and Mikey, especially, are you know, pretty good wrestlers and have been in the business, you know, quite a bit. And then you throw in a guy like Ziggler and then Johnny Jeter, and it's almost like, you know, we uh, we crawled our way, you know, here. We uh, worked our, our ass off to get here. And then Mitch is just, you know, luckily enough in the group. Uh, you know, honestly, like, we never did because we knew that Mitch was a part of the group. So without Mitch, we wouldn't have the whole group. And we knew without any one of us, it wouldn't be what it was. I, I know to other people, they were very mad. They did not like it at all. And they didn't like, like, he, he didn't even know locker room etiquette. He didn't even know who Edge was. Because he walked up to Edge and was like, hey, what's up? My name's Mitch. How you doing? He's like, I'm kind of new here. And Edge was like, get away from me. <laughs> and then Edge was like, I said, you know what just happened? And we're like, what? He's like, your buddy just came to me. And this is what he said. And we're like, he said that to you? He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, that, that's a good way to start. And so then we had heat from the moment we got there. But then everybody, eventually, they started accepting Mitch because he would actually try. He'd go out to the ring beforehand. We're like, look, you gotta go. You got to be the first one at the ring. Just get in there and hit the rope. I don't know. Do something. Make it look like you're trying because everybody hates you. And then they hate us. So then eventually, he just became comedy. And, like, Sean even used to joke. He said, you know, the only reason you're here, Mitch, is because you make people laugh. He said, if you didn't make anybody laugh backstage, you'd have been fired a long time ago. And he was like, cool. Well, I'm glad to have a role. <laughs> like... <laughs> He was he was such a comedian. <laughs> you know what's kind of like comedic about the Spirit Squad in a way, and, and I, don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but you know, obviously I'm going to ask you. Was it uh, like a rib, almost like a joke, when Flair and DX end up beating you guys and they throw you in a crate and it says "Return to Louisville, Return to OVW"? Uh, yeah, I mean that was like their at a joke, I guess. But it kind of helped out OVW too. It kind of let people in on like, oh, this is where. What the process it goes, but so I guess that was their attempt at a joke. I don't know that anybody got it unless you were like a diehard wrestling fan, but I'm sure like kids watching at home are like, what, what are they doing? Where are they going? But so yeah, I guess that was maybe like 
you know, they have different attempts at jokes. Sometimes they get over, sometimes they don't. Did you think there was a fitting way to end and kind of like break up the uh, the Spirit Squad? I was kind of hoping that we would feud. There was a lot of like talks about us feuding with each other, but that never came about. And I think that could have been good. I mean, it would have been cool because then the crowd could have decided what they wanted. You know, I think that would have been awesome. They teased it for so many months, too. They were saying, okay, you guys are going to split up soon, and then like, it would never happen. And then that night we got there, and they're like, okay, you guys are splitting up tonight. End of the story. Squad's over. And we're like, that quick? We're like, no, don't let it end. Like, <laughs> like it's too much fun for us. Like, you're paying us all this money to just go out and jump around and act like idiots. Are you kidding me? I can't do anything wrong. Hmm. Did you kind of feel like they ended it too soon? Yeah, I think they could have, like, we could have put another team over. I mean, it ended with us putting over Sean and Flair, but, I mean, I guess in that sense, maybe let us put over Crime Time or let them send us out. You know what I mean? Like, DX didn't have to send us out. They were already over. Let DX or Crime Time get rid of us. That is true. You, know, you could have had the Crime Time or the, the Highlanders or maybe even Caden Murdoch. Yeah, the Highlanders. Yeah. yeah, somebody, something. Put us in, like some form or fashion, you know? Absolutely, but... It, we, yeah, let us just, It's almost like passing on the tag team torch, I guess. I mean, the tag team division is so... It's not what it used to be, that's for sure. Even at that point, when we were there in 06, 07, it wasn't what it used to be, like in the 90s and the 80s. So at least maybe try to bring it back, but I guess it all depends on what they want. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, with the Spirit Squad, like you said before, you guys had the titles for a long time, and I actually was looking up to see, because I remember you guys held it. I felt like it was almost a year. I mean, obviously, it was. I think it was It was like 260 days or something. It was, it was a long time, but I looked, and it was like the yep. last team that held the title that long was uh, Owen and the Bulldog from like 96 to 97. So, I mean, you guys had quite a long run with the tag team belt. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was great, too. I mean, what's great about being one of the champs is you're on every house show, you're on every live event, every overseas tour. That's great. I mean, you're always getting paid, you know, so you don't have to worry about just going to TV. Now, talk about when you went into your singles run, and obviously we go from just knowing you as Kenny and not Ken Doan, as we had uh, known that was your, your other ring name, but Kenny Dykstra. Now, us 1986 Met fans would know Lenny Dykstra, but... There's a uh, striking resemblance to uh, to a young nails, but talk about Kenny Dykstra and how that came about, and when you went on your own. Uh, yeah, so a week after the squad, they decided I was the one that was getting called back to the TV. So then they're like, oh, we're going to bring you out. As they said, come up, they get the papers, they come up with different names. So I was like, Ken Doan, that's what I want to use. I say, OBW, it's my real name, whatever. And they're like, you can't because the referee Jack Doan. So then my other options were like McMahon, you know, Levesque. Those got shut down real quick. So then like the writer, Brian Gerwertz, he's a Mets fan, so he was like, we're going to call you Dykstra, Kenny Dykstra. And I was like, whatever. I, I mean, I, I was like, do I have a choice? Like, no. I said, okay. Then I don't care. It Whatever works. I don't, that's fine. I'll take it. That's my only option. I'll take it. So then we started doing that, and then they put me right in the program at Flair, so that was cool. But honestly, when they ended the squad, I kind of wanted to go back to Louisville because I was like, you know, it's hard to get out under the squad gimmick in a week. Like, we were there for a whole year, tag champs every single show. Like, and now I'm not a cheerleader anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
becoming more serious, I like, let people forget about me for a little bit. And like, no, 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 I'm going to be fine. I was like, it's not going to be fine. Like, they're going to, people know. They're not stupid. So then I still did the flare thing with them. And they actually, you know, I had a good push out of that. And then uh, New Year's Revolution, they put me over for flare for, like, the third time in a row on the pay-per-view. But then that night, Triple H tore his quad. So then flare had to go with Sean. And I knew right from there, because even... Uh, Arn said, he's like, look, at, like you got all the talent in the world. He's like, but injuries happen, things get moved around. He said, you're going to be the one that's lost in the shuffle. And I said, yeah, I think I know what you mean. And he's always been real with it. everybody. You know, he's one of the top agents there, but he's always been real. He, he'd never pull any punches. And I was like, I, I think I know exactly what you mean. And then from there, it like, you know, at least, okay, I'm working with Carlito and Jeff Hardy. It's great, but it's not exactly my style. It's not like, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't know. What is my style? I don't know. I can wrestle with anybody. It's more like I prefer to work with guys like Flair, bigger guys. I can just, I can move better with them. So then I knew that that was fizzling away too, the whole intercontinental picture. Shelton, Carlito, Jeff, all that. So then I knew ECW that they were pushing Bobby, but they were pushing Bobby's test and hard poly. And this is where our match came up because I would see, I knew what they wanted out of Bobby. But I knew that if you put Bobby with a guy like Test or Hardcore Holly, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get a, an unstoppable monster. It's just not going to happen because they're the same size as him. So they're not going to put him over like that. They can't. It kills them. So I went to Stephanie and Vince and I said, you know, give me time with Bobby. Let me work Bobby one match on Raw. I said, I guarantee you I'll come with a million dollars. I said, and I'll get over the process too. I said, it'll be a great match. They said, have you ever worked with Bobby? I said, once in OVWS, but I know it'll be fine. So then the next week we were in Philly, and Stephanie said, your semi-main event, you got 15 minutes, one commercial break. And I was like, sweet, this is great. And Bobby had the flu, and he was like, whatever you want to do, I'll listen. He said, I don't care. He said, I trust you. He said, I, you're going to make me like a million dollars. I was like, thank you, cool, I got it. So me and Finley put together a match. Bobby came up. We said, this is what we're doing. This is what you're doing. And this is how it's going to go. He was like, all right, cool. That's fine. I like it. And it was, by the way, it was Philly. So the crowd was chanting for me at certain points, which I don't know that the office liked. But it was a great match. It was very competitive. You can actually probably see it on YouTube. Um, I mean, you can see all the matches. But it was a great match. And then, like, we got to the back. And we got a standing ovation and grill position for Briscoe and Vince and all that. So I was like, sweet. So then I had this other idea to do a feud with Bobby. And I was like, look, no one's going to believe that I can beat him one-on-one. So where I'm on Raw, he's on ECW. Let me go to ECW. I'll steal the belt. And now we can do this huge inter-promotional show, Raw ECW, where he's constantly trying to catch me, you know. But I'm I'm small, I'm fast. He's big, he's a monster. I just pretty much out him for a few weeks till we get to the pay-per-view. He obviously beats me up, takes his belt back. That he uh, he owns what I'm carrying around. You know what I mean? But nothing ever came out of that. After that match, they were just like, okay, we're going to put you back on Sunday Night Heat, and Bobby's going to go do his own thing. But they were happy with the match. They actually came after and was like, thank you. It's like, you know, people ask for things. We give it to them, and they don't deliver. They said, you actually delivered. He looks like a million dollars. That's what we wanted. So at least that came out of it. And it's interesting, you know, to go backwards. Uh, obviously, everybody knew you from the Spirit Squad, uh, you know, you're main eventing, you're on Raw, you're this, and then you're going back to Sunday Night Heat and the singles run. I mean, that seems like that is, 
you know, your biggest accomplishment in that singles run, but is there anything that also maybe uh, could have happened that didn't because, you know, you had all the talent in the world and we could call you, you know, the can't-miss prospect of that era because there's just so much promise for you at, at that point that that lateral move just seemed like it was a little little silly. But was there anything else that maybe uh, you saw in the cards but uh, kind of got yanked away from you? Um. I knew that after that match with Bobby that they saw that I could make somebody, anybody look like a million dollars. Not saying Bobby was a bad wrestler. At the time, Bobby wasn't where he is nowadays. And I think he would admit that too. I mean, I would admit that too. I'm better now than I was then as well. But I think they saw that I, I, I can produce and I can make big guys look good. So then it turned into like every guy that they wanted to look like a million dollars. Okay, we'll put him in because I know that he can do the job. He can He can get it done. He can get him over and that's when the whole Chuck Palumbo thing came about. And then, like, so they brought Chuck up, and it was like, all right. They even called me the night before. and was like, we need you at SmackDown. You need to get the SmackDown. And I was like, okay, cool. So they bring me to SmackDown, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do something big here. And they're like, you're working Palumbo. And they were putting up videos the whole month and a half. And I was like, okay, this is a squash match. They're like, it's not exactly a squash match, but you have four minutes. And I was like, who's going over? So they're like, yes. And I was like, that's a squash match. <laughs> I was like, just say squash match. That's all you got to say. I'm cool with it. You're paying me. I give a shit. You know, whatever. And so then we did that, and then they, they were like, that's great. You made a million dollars. It's like, you're going to do it again next week. And I was like, okay, whatever. This time you got five minutes. And then they're like, you can do it again next week. You need to do it on the house shows. You're going to do it across Europe. And like, we're going to make him look like a million dollars. That's kind of what I knew. Like, okay, my job now is to make people look good. Which is fine by me. It's a team aspect. Like every look, in that sense, I compare it to football. Like I was a lineman doing the blocking. He was Tom Brady. You know, that's fine. I it's great because we're part of the company. We're all winning. But I knew where it was going. So I mean, in that aspect, that was one of the things where I could see where it was headed. But then I guess with Chuck, eventually, it was like people started to boo him, and I was like, listen, you have to let me beat you up. Like they told me to stay strong. I was like, no, 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 no. You can stay strong, but you got to go to the mat. Let me get on you. If they don't think I'm getting on you, they're not going to cheer for you. He's like, all right, we'll try it once. I was like, no, we're, we're, okay, we'll do it once, and then we'll hear the crap. He was like, oh, my God, it worked. I was like, yes. I was like, sell for me, and then I'll fly across the ring for you. So after that, our matches ended up being great and ended up working really well. And then, like, Jimmy Wang Yang, who's the big guy, they ended up. I ended up having putting him over quite a bit, but I mean, I was never one to worry about winning or losing. It's you know, it's pretty determined outcomes. But it was great to get to, to do those things and work with those guys and have those opportunities. So, I mean, that's the way it went. That's the way it goes, and that's just what you accept. You accept it and you go and you make the most of it. Yeah, definitely. And all those guys that you just mentioned, you know, had gimmicks or were repackaged at some point into something. There, you see some promise. You know, and you really think that, okay, given a little bit of time and given a little bit of TV, you know, there's going to be something that can really fester and grow into something successful. And you, obviously, you said earlier, natural heel. I thought as a singles competitor, you know, you had a lot of potential. But then when you're released, and we kind of touched on this earlier as well, where you, you weren't surprised, but were you relieved with the fact that, all right, I'm still young, they really just have misused me after having such a great run with the Spirit Squad, and now we'll move on to, uh, you know, maybe a, a better playing field outside of the WWE. 
Um, I kind of knew it was coming. I was kind of relieved, too, because they they stopped listening to my ideas, and they would get upset by it. Like, they would have meetings and say, you got to create your own storyline. So I would start doing the, like, future Hall of Famer gimmick, and I would talk about, you know, me and Victoria, talking about how I'm a future Hall of Famer and all this stuff. So then, like, I even reached out. I even went on my own because, like, one of my buddies works in L.A., and his agent knows another agent. So, like, I got in touch with Vanilla Ice, long story short. And I was like, here's my idea. I'm the future Hall of Famer gimmick. You are going to be my the one who gives my induction speech. It turns into the fact where you end up managing me. Like we form a team. You know what I mean? Like me and Vanilla Ice, Victoria. Like we're starting our own little group here. And he was like, "That's great. I'm in. I, I want to do it. Like if we can get the okay, I'll, I'm there." Like and I I pitched it to Vince and everybody, the writers, and I was like, "You all you got to say is yeah." I was like, he did all the logistics of it. He said he'll do it. I, whatever you want to pay him, that's up to you guys. We didn't talk about that. I just got him to agree to it. Then they got kind of mad that I went off and did that aspect of my own. Like, you don't go out and reach other celebrities to do certain things. And I was like, wait, you said create your own storyline. Like, I, I did the work for you. Like, all you got to say yes. And he said yes. Like, but maybe I took that the wrong way. Maybe, maybe I tried too hard. And from there, I was like, oh, man, like, we're blackballed. We're going to, we're getting screwed over here now. So I work. So then, like, eventually when they released me, I was just kind of like, okay, that's fine. I said, oh, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And they were like, well, the doors never closed. So I said, all right, whatever, we'll see. You never know. Well, also, you know, before your release, obviously, you know, controversial comments, kind of by you, I guess, a couple of years ago, somewhat controversial, I guess you, you could kind of say, um, with, you know, the effects of uh, why you were released or perhaps it having to do with John Cena and that whole, you know, that whole thing with Mickey James, you guys were engaged and uh, supposedly Cena was sleeping with her. Did it have anything to do with Cena, you think, uh, with your release? Or you think it was all, you know, the knee injury and the, the vanilla ice thing? Uh, you know, I honestly, I don't know. I can't really say. I mean, at the time, like, they say create your own storyline. So if, if you're going to, if you're going to, say anything, well, then you shoot for the guy. I mean, that's, that's my mindset. Now, for like even in wrestling fans, they're going to link us two together at some point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so why why wouldn't you? you know, I'm not saying, no offense, but I'm not like a horn troll. You know, <laughs> I ain't blame him because there's no one's going to, nobody cares for that aspect. Not that they don't care about him, but they're going to go, ah, oh, hey, whatever. Whereas this aspect, it, it ties us together for However long, you know? Is it a work? Who knows? Is it real? Who knows? But the point is, they will, just like you said, you just proved the whole point. You're always going to tie it back to that, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yes. Do you, you like John Cena or you don't like him or maybe you just care not to say? I don't want to, uh, you know. No, actually, of... I do. I do. I'm, I'm actually good friends with his father. Like, his dad's really cool. I've seen him at a lot of shows. And, like, we'll always hang out and just, you know, BS back and forth. But, no, he is cool. I mean, every whenever I see him, I talk to him, I say hi and stuff. But, no, I mean, he's a hard worker. I mean, maybe not the greatest technical wrestler, but, I mean, he can put on a great show. There's no denying that, you know. And then plus all the make a stuff. That, I think, is more volumes than any of the work that we could do in the ring is things like that. Absolutely. Now he uh, he's no Bret Hart in the ring. Let's put it that way. He's not you know technically sound. He definitely uh, <laughs> he's 
he's definitely over though with the crowd for sure. But is he over with you? Oh, yeah. Is there is there heat there? No, like like to me, I would say no. Like, I mean, will I forever think us as like having heat? Absolutely, continually, because it's it's a smart move to do. Business-wise and whatever, like, in the story of wrestling, because fans don't know. Fans look at it and they go, maybe that there's got to, like, maybe there's truth. I don't know. They, they don't know. It's just a mystery to people. And that's what makes wrestling great is it's a mystery to begin with. How many things in wrestling can you look at and say, that might be real? I think you look at wrestling majority across the board and say, work, 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 work. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But in this end, it's just we look at it and we go, we're missing pieces. We don't know. We want to know more. What do we know? But then again, it always forever links me with the, the top guy here. So it's like I'm strategic. That's what I do. Very good. And very old school mind. I'm sure Killer Kowalski tell you that because it kind of reminds me of something you brought up earlier with Piper and the hip. It has nothing to do with you per se, but Hogan and Piper always had that feud where people really thought that they didn't like each other. And I, I remember, you know, obviously, WCW, Hogan used to always say, I'm going after the hip, Piper, you know. And people kind of thought it was real because he was taking a real shot at Piper. Absolutely. Even Flair was telling me a story about him and Steamboat. They both live in Charlotte. And Flair would say, even Steamboat would tell me, he'd say, you know, I'd go into a restaurant and they'd say, oh, Mr. Steamboat, your table's ready. And he would say, I'm not eating here because he's here. Flair's here. I can't eat here. Like, we're going to end up fighting or something. And Flair would do hmm. the same thing. Like, no, we, we can't be around each other. It's just, it's not going to be a good environment. I'd rather leave than, you know. But people, even in that atmosphere, are like, oh, man, like, okay, I know it's a show, but, but that, that's real. Absolutely. It's and an old school mentality that they don't use anymore, you know? That's 100% true. Definitely missing that old school flavor, and Obviously, you know, there couldn't have been too much heat between you guys. He's a top dog, and you ended up in 2011 having a dark match against Justin Gabriel. How did that come about? Uh, well, how did that come about? They called me, and they were like, hey, come on down. We want to take a look at you. And I was like, okay, like, that's cool. I'll do whatever. I'll come down wrestle a little bit. But, and you know, when I got there, too, some of the guys were like, man, I used to watch you when I was younger. And I'm like, you're younger, you're older than me. What are you talking about? And they're like, really? <laughs> and I was like, yes. Like, what the hell? What are we missing here? Like, I'm not an old veteran, guys. Like, I'm younger than you. And they're like, you've been doing this for so long. I was like, doesn't, yeah, but I'm, I'm young. I'm younger than you. So then, like, I did the match, and they loved it. And I was like, okay, cool. Who, who knows? We'll see. And then they were like, oh, no, we're not going to hire you. Johnny's like, no. Not gonna happen this stuff, and I was like, okay. They were like, you know, you go in, you don't expect nothing, and if anything happens, then yippee. But then they called me. When was it? Like a year and a half ago, or maybe a year ago. And I, I just turned it down. And I said, you know, no, like, it, I'm not coming back to just do a dark match and then you know leave and that's it. Like, if if you want me, you want me. You know what I'm capable of. It's never been a question of my work. It's never been like. What do you want, a picture? I'll send you a picture so you can see him in shape. Like, And even Hunter said, he's like, my problem with you is the dark match I did. He said, my problem with you is I can't send you to develop milk. It's a waste of time. He said, you're not doing a thing there. He said, but I don't really have anything for you on TV right now either. I said, okay, well, hey, that's fine. At least you're honest, whatever. You know, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to go to develop milk just to sit there. That'd, that'd be pointless, especially if I'm not going to learn anything. You know, I want to get better in the business. So... Obviously, the only way that's going to happen is up here. But 
so that's kind of where that went. Then I did a Dark Master today, probably about two years ago, maybe three. And, like, the great, like, my thing with TNA is a great roster. They have such a talented roster, but the, the management, I guess, is off there. I guess that's the only way I can put it nicely. They contacted me, and they, okay, we're going to stay down. We'll put you in a hotel, and we'll bring you to the arena, and we'll pay you. Oh, cool. I guess, you know, that's how we do it. So we did all that. And then they called me a week later, and they said, we want to book you in two more weeks. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, we'll just set it in. Like, well, yeah, you got to get to Orlando by yourself. And I was like, what? So like, you got to fly yourself here. you got to get a hotel. We're not paying you either. And I was like, I sent the nicest politically correct email to them saying, to Dixon saying, you know, and, you know what, I even backed it up because being an education major and sports management and all this stuff, I have to have some resources to back up my opinion. So I was like, okay, this is what it's going to cost. This is, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, at this point in my career, I, I'm not looking for a job to, to, do, to do this free. Like, that, that, I don't need that. So then they got mad about it and was like, then we're never going to book you again. And then three days later, Dixie calls me, offers me a contract. And I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> I was like, you bring me down. And then you want me to come back. And you want me to pay my own way? I say no, nicely. And then you offer me a job. Then she offered me such, like, minimal money that I actually sent her an email back, and this is when I used the resources. I was like, this amount of money, it breaks down to this new week. Say I did a show, a house show. I always did the schedule. Say I do your show Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever it be. Said, this is what I'm paying in a car. This is what I'm paying in a hotel. And not even talking about food. I said, my take-home is going to be like $200 a week. I said, you kidding me? I said, I'd rather, like, their reply was, well, you're going to kind of be famous because you're going to be on TV, the exposure. And I was like, I'd rather want to be a homeless, famous person. That's silly. <laughs> I'd rather not be on TV and be able to live. Like, what are you talking about? That, that's your reply? I was like, you know that your your woman's chant works at the sunglasses, right? And they're like, well, well. I mean, people do things on that, too. And I was like, no. Like, you guys are crazy. And if you have some diehard, talented roster and you pay them garbage, I don't want your contract. I don't want it. Don't come. So that kind of didn't go well. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Their, uh, their management down there and their business practices have always been a point of contention with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the boys. It seems like TNA, like you said, definitely mismanaged. And I guess, uh, you don't ever want to kind of deal with them again, right? The door, I guess, you kind of close the door on them? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not even worth it to me. It's just, like, come on. I'd rather go to Ring of Honor in that sense. But I, I even told them, I said, you know, you have such a diehard roster. I said, companies would kill for employees that were that loyal to their company. To, to go through the things that they go through and to accept the pay that they accept, companies would kill for employees to be that much diehard for their company. I said, you guys just take advantage of it. I said, that's just silly. I was trying to advocate for the boys. I don't even know there. But I still try to look out for them. That's uh, utterly insane. But, you know, it's it's kind of uh, the way TNA is, and we've talked to a lot of the guys. TNA is definitely, um, I don't know, I would guess you could just say they're mismanaged for sure, but you definitely would have some success on the NDC. I mean, Dragon Gate, USA, Evolve, you work at, uh, even Chikara, uh, the Spirit Squad, saw a return of sorts with Mikey, 
yourself and Johnny um, at the King of Trios tournament. What was it like bringing back the Spirit Squad, uh, you know, for a night or two? Oh, that was so great. That was so exciting. I mean, uh, and just to be able to work for Chikara or even Evolve Dragon, all those that matter. But the Chikara one and the return of the Spirit Squad, that was great. I was so uh, I was happy that uh, Mike Quackenbush gave us the opportunity to do that. And B.J. Carroll is a great promoter, great business guy. His show was like, it was like better than a WWE live event. It was similar to like, you know, like the old school Monday Night Raw, like in New York with the Raw set. I mean, he didn't have the set, but it was like, he had the Chikara set, but he didn't have the, you know, the R.A.W. thing going on. But he had like his own professional setup. Like it was a very pay-per-view feel. The guy's great at marketing. He got, the crowd was crazy there. They they loved us the first night. They hated us the second night. I don't know why. That changed. <laughs> but who knows? Like I made a point to make known on the mobile phone. Like what? You loved us last night. Now you don't like this. This makes no sense at all. You don't even know what you want. Like how are you even here? But just to have that opportunity to bring three of us back together is great. I mean, working with John, he hadn't been in the ring in so long. He was like, dude, this is my first fault in like eight years. I was like, oh my god, Johnny, like you just. We'll tag you in here and there, you know, just give a few kicks, let us do the work. And he was like, okay, cool, that's cool. But it was fun, it was a great atmosphere. It's a great thing that they do there. You know, the King of Trios tournament, like, it it showcases tag team wrestling. It showcases, you know, six-man tags, which is great. I always say, like, tag team matches, if done right, they're the best matches in the card because you can do so much more and you have so much more to work with. Do you prefer a tag team wrestling over, uh, you know, singles competition? Uh, yeah, I do because there's, I mean, like I said, there's so much more you can do, especially if you have managers. Managers, you have four bodies. You have referee. You, you know, and if you're lucky, they'll give you another referee. So there's so much you can do with it. There's so much false false finishes. Like Lance Storm is great at putting together tag team matches. I used to love watching Lance Storm and Christian versus the Dudleys because it was just like. It was excitement. It, you know, you knew it wasn't the main event, but you also knew watching it that it was just going to be like a roller coaster ride. I do think, though, one of my favorite matches ever, and this is, you know, people might not remember this match. It was the night Jericho and Benoit won the tag titles against Austin and Hunter. They used every single asset of that match. They used Stephanie on the outside. They used two refs. They used Sledge. Like, but everything had a point and everything flowed, and it was like the greatest tag match I ever saw. Very memorable indeed. Was that the uh, the injury to Triple H, the infamous uh, quad pull? Yeah, that was that was another quad pull. I wonder who got the shaft on that quad pull. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as who in the uh, back when that? I wonder, like, when that quad pull happened, who in the back went? Oh, damn, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> the whole alliance, the WCW. Uh, <laughs> WWF yeah, right? Yeah, Canyon said, "Oh man, everybody's better than me now." <laughs> yeah, everybody got the shaft. That, uh, that's very true. Now, with the the Spirit Squad, if I could bring it back then for for a second, there were you kind of surprised with uh, Nikki, aka uh, Dolph Ziggler, that he was able to shed that gimmick and kind of uh, you know almost be forgotten that he was a Spirit Squad member with the the Dolph Ziggler character. Uh, not really, because I know, like, he's one of Briscoe's boys, and, like, Briscoe has his little group of, like, you know, the wrestlers, like him and Ben and Toss and Bobby and, like, you know what I mean? 
I always knew that he was not that he was protected. I mean, he, people forget that he was close caddy as Kerwin, you know. So I mean, he did that gimmick, and then he did the squad gimmick, and then he did the you know. So this is what his third gimmick, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I mean, after a while, you go, okay. I mean, they're not going to let him fail. They're like this. They're not going to let him drop. So I was never really concerned for him. I was never concerned for Gio too. I think Gio actually asked for his release, but I wasn't concerned for him because I know he was boys with Cena and whatnot, and that they were going to do. I think they were going to do something with him and Jericho, but it ended up being Lance. Caden Jericho, if I'm correct. I'm not sure. But I think that was supposed to be Jeter and Jericho. Mondo, I knew, was going to get lost in the shuffle for the simple fact that he's he's short. He's, you know, he he doesn't exactly have the, the pig man look. But I will say this, out of everybody I've ever wrestled in my entire career, he is the best. And that goes above Slayer, Sean Hunter, all that. Mondo is the best wrestler I've ever been in the ring with. That, that guy can lead a match. He can lead anybody. He can work with a blind person, and you would never know that's the person who's blind. That's how good Mondo is. I'm just surprised. It boggles my mind that the talent doesn't outweigh what it is that they're looking for. And then Mitch, I knew Mitch was, I knew he was out the door. <laughs> uh, good old Mitch. He, he's Mitch, uh, you know, he was great. Uh, uh, like, you know, obviously backstage of those stories. But was Mondo your favorite uh, partner? Was he your favorite member of the Spirit Squad? Uh, when we had to do tag matches, I would always ask for Mondo. Like, and if you noticed pay-per-views, it was always Mondo and myself that would mm-hmm. do the working aspect of it. And I think they just knew, not that we were, I don't know, not that we were better. I, I always say no one, I'm better than nobody, but nobody's better than me. That's just my saying. <laughs> but I guess in that sense, they, yeah, I know, right? But I guess in that sense, they knew who was doing the work. And I know you guys had like kind of the, the free bird rule a little bit where when you guys are the tag champs, you know, different guys can defend, but would you have rather just preferred it was you and Mikey defending the title? No, I kind of like the aspect of having all five of us because it was like, I don't know, I guess from, I always try to look at things from a fan standpoint, and I think that's where a lot of, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong in the business. They don't look at it as, I mean, look, you, you could put a character like the Berserker and I guarantee you, the berserker, you're going, man, I can see how this could get to the main event, and I can see how it could be world champ. But from a fan perspective, you're going, you will never be world champ. Like, that can happen. Like, Gilbert, I'm sure in his like, I could see this becoming world champ, like, in an event of WrestleMania. Like, no, it, it, no, from a fan standpoint, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, like, I like the idea of it. Maybe that's a horrible analogy, but I like the idea of me and Mono being champs, but at the same point, I like the idea from a fan point where they didn't know who was wrestling. You know, they didn't know what combination they were getting, so I think it makes it uh, more fresh. And I think they do something similar, don't they? Because I like, looked on the website at my store, I saw like, what is it, the New Day, the three of them, they're tag champs? Yes. Yep. Uh, Kofi. And just put a thing, right? Yep. Kofi, Big E, and Xavier Woods, they kind of do the three bird thing where each, any of them can defend the title at any time. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it makes it kind of fun, you know? And, I mean, there's so much you can do off of that, too. Like, I mean, it's just, I think it makes it more fun. It's interesting because you never know who's going to defend the tag belt. So that's a cool thing. It makes it more of a theme. Absolutely. And as I start to wind it down here, possibly the most important part of your career was no doubt about it after the wrestling career was over and you were on the Fox show seducing Sydney with Sydney Margolis. You gotta talk to us about that. 
<laughs> oh, that was great. It was like one of my buddies, like, uh, he was like, hey, man, they're doing this thing for Susan and Cindy. You got to check it out. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, he's like, you free next month? And I was like, I don't have any shows booked, so I could actually do something, like, you know, if this was the case. He's like, I'll make a video send it in. So I did. And I know, like, through stuff and stuff, what producers are looking for. They're looking for entertaining those characters. They're looking for something like that. So my thing was, like, I'm a prankster and all this stuff, and I don't know if you ended up watching it, but I played a lot of people. So that was kind of my thing. And then the producer called me. He was like, I need you. Like, I want you on the show. He's like, we'll fly to LA. We'll take you. We'll do everything. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, well, let's do it. So I was, I was, I mean, I wasn't there thinking like, oh, I'm going to date Cindy. Actually, what's crazy is on the show, I started turning babyface. And people were like, <laughs> on the show, like, oh, you're totally going to win. You're totally going to win. And I was like, that means I'm not going to win. Like, because then that would be a swerve. But in my mind, I never told anybody this. But had I won the show, I was going to dump her and say, like, you know, I know it's two, but I just don't think you're right for me. I was going to dump her at the final. Because I know the producer what the heck? And who knows where it would go from that. She'd probably slap me or something. I'd take a bump and cut my head open. Who knows? <laughs> Anything could happen. But that was my that was my thing on that. But it was fun. Like, you live in this giant house, and there's just a party every night. And like... I was like, what the heck? Like, what am I doing? All right, I'm 23 years old. I'm in a frat house, like, and hanging out with a supermodel. Like, okay, I can do this for a month. Whatever. For vacations, why not? Absolutely. But you make friends on it. So it's cool. Did anybody recognize you from, you know, the pro wrestling world saying, like, hey, you're Kenny, you know, from the Spirit Squad? Oh, yeah, there's one guy there with this huge goatee, and he's like, oh, my God, let me show you this. And I was like, what? And he took his stuff. He has this giant tattoo on the back of the Undertaker and stuff. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, really cool friends. Like, we're pretty neat. I ended up pranking him, actually. I put Xbox in his soda. And I put Xbox in some other kid's bag. So that way, I knew what I knew exactly was going to happen. I was like, I'm going to watch. I'm going to put Xbox in his soda. He's going to drink it. He's going to do the deal. And that kid's going to be like, go ahead, my stuff, I don't have it, check it out. And when he does, he's going to find it, and he's going to be like, that was not there. <laughs> so, like, I just put those two in a feud. <laughs> and I guess the reason I stayed on the show as long as I did was because I knew how producers think working with WWE. So I was like, put over the fact that I'm going to prank somebody. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to prank someone, so this is what I'm going to do. And then once the prank happened, I would put over that, ha-ha, it was funny, but then I'm also going to put over the fact that I have another prank coming up. And by doing this, they're never going to kick me off the show because it's just entertaining stuff. So it's like I would never get looked at to get kicked off the show. And I made it like the final four or whatever. So in that, in the grand scheme of it, it the plan actually worked. And I just, you know, hang out and go on vacation for a month in a mansion. So. That is uh, absolutely great. And, you know, kind of on, on a more serious note, you know, away from, you know, the TV world, you did end up writing a children's book as well. Can you just tell us a little bit about that book? Yes, it's called uh, Boy. It's anti-bullying children's book. And, I mean, the way it came about was I read a bad Dr. Seuss book, and my friend was like, well, then you write one. And I was like, this is horrible. And it was after he died, but they still used his name. And I was like, shit, man, I had he was. I don't know who he is now. And I was like, this guy's horrible. He's using Dr. Seuss' name. Like, this is what I remember. So then I was like, I'll write my own. So then I wrote it, rhymes, and it's like has a purpose. And I go to schools all over the place. And I talk to them about bullying and anti-bullying, and read my book to them. And we do the whole little spiel, and it's entertaining. And I work with kids, so end up working really good. There's something that just turned into like me being mad at some guy for writing a bad Dr. Seuss book to becoming an author. So 
who knows where your life's going to go, right? Absolutely. It's amazing. And then, uh, you know, your life away from the wrestling business is, is unique because, you know, like at WB.com, it's kind of saying like, man, uh, you've done a lot outside the business. You look in uh, better shape. You're, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of better than ever. But if I could rewind it back to the wrestling business just for a second here, do you have a favorite match or maybe matches that you've had in your career? Because uh, you've been a part of a, a lot of good feuds and you wrestle a lot of great talent. Yeah, the New Year's Revolution with Flair, and then anytime I worked Jimmy Wayne Gang, we always put together a great match. We, they always gave us time, and then um, a lot of my OVW stuff. If you ever want to watch like my good wrestling stuff, not that any of bad. I mean, for some of it wasn't so great, but the good good stuff is the OVW stuff. That's when they gave me time, and those are some of my great matches. I mean, I always think that my next best match is probably going to be my next because I, I'm I'm no more than I did then. And I'm always getting better. And each time I have a match, I'm trying to get better and put together a better match than I did previously. So. And you kind of mentioned it before. You're saying that Mike Bondo was, you know, the best guy you've been in the ring with that you absolutely love. But besides him, do you have, like, a favorite opponent, like a go-to guy? I know you kind of said Jimmy Wang Yang, but is there a guy maybe in OVW that you just, like, you always had a great match with that you always connected with? Um, I think... It might be an easy answer to Flair, but that's just because he would never talk to you and you would never see him before the match and you'd only see him at gorilla position, so you couldn't mess anything up. And he <laughs> would do that on purpose, just avoid people. He would. like I would be like, where's Flair? And I'm me and Seabart at the ring, and he's like, I don't know, but you're going to pin him this way. And I was like, does he know that? And he's like, I think he does. I'm like, if he doesn't, do I, like, shoot pin him? Like, are we going to do the Bret Hart thing? Like, I know we're in, like, <laughs> Pittsburgh, but we can still do it. And Flair's like, no, 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 we're not going to screw nobody over. So then I was like, I don't know where Flair is. And then I'd see him at the grow-up position. He's like, you ready, kid? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you got the finish? And I was like, yeah, but do you have the finish? Like, you were there. And he's like, yeah, 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 I got the finish. I'm like, okay, let's see what the finish is. And he always had the finish, so somebody told him. Maybe he was just reading cards in the back. But other than him, I would say maybe Shannon Moore. Shannon Moore was always good to work with. He was easy. Him, Jimmy Yang, uh, Sean. Sean was always easy to work with. Hunter was fun to work with, but he was just, uh, He's a big lug. He's a big dude. Sean would just say, beat me up, because I know at the end of the match, I'm going to drop an elbow, I'm going to nip up, and I'm going to super kick you. So you do whatever you want to do. I like that. (laughs) So, you know, working with Triple H, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't as fluid or wasn't as easy to work with as, like, you know, a guy like Shawn Michaels, who's, you know, constantly called one of the best performers of all time. Uh, He was fun. He was easy to work with. But I will say this. He did mess up a spot once. And he actually took credit for it. And I was very happy that he did. He was like, my bad. Messed up that spot. When I had him in the hold, I was like, okay, like, what do I say? Oh, it's cool, buddy. Like, green horn. <laughs> like, I don't know. What do I say to that? Like, anybody else, I'd be like, don't worry, it's cool. But when he says it, I'm like, no, no, you didn't. Maybe it was me. Like, I don't know. What do I, like, do I let you take blame for that? Are you testing me? I don't know what to say. So I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> Next spot, like, I'm going to pretend you didn't say anything. What was the spot? Do you remember? Yeah, he threw me to the corner, and he was like, take a clothesline. And then on my way in, he just ran into me. And he's like, I thought you were going to move. And I was like, you said take the clothesline. He's like, you're right, I did. He's like, my bad. And I was <laughs> like, and then while I have him in the hold, the whole spot's looking at me like, you screwed up a spot with Hunter. And I was like, that wasn't me. And they're like, yes, it was. And I was like, dude, he just said it wasn't me. And they're like, no, he didn't. And I'm like, 
okay. And this is a live event that we're having this debate. They're like, you screwed up a spot. I'm like, no, he said it was him. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And I was like, don't worry about it. We're, we're calling something. So I'm trying to cover his ears while I'm debating this. <laughs> yeah, it's like the most random things that could happen in a ring that people have no idea that happened. Yeah, definitely. I love that they're coming to life. You know, a lot of them in this interview, you know, with the Big Show sandwich thing and uh, the, the Mitch stuff. Crazy, and I'm gonna have to go back, and uh, especially the Saturday Night's Main Event. I'm definitely gonna have to go back and watch that uh, that great match. Oh yeah, the Saturday Night's Main Event is the clearest one that you could possibly see. You see Sean flying out of that corner, and we're like, no, 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 no. Settle down, you're gonna screw everything up here. We already don't want to screw it up. Now you've wrestled, obviously, we talked about Flair and Triple H and HBK and all these other great wrestlers, but is there a guy like a dream match that you could have a guy who haven't been wrestling, you know, been able to wrestle yet because you're only 29 years old so I mean the, the future is definitely bright but is there a guy out there you definitely want to wrestle uh, based on what they have now oh man I don't know I mean I wrestled Daniel Bryan so that's kind of off my list but I think he's still there but uh, I don't know I guess based on people they have on TV maybe Cesaro I mean, he seems like a very technically sound wrestler. He's really good. Uh, maybe somebody like a Chris Hero. I mean, he's not up there anymore. He was there for a short period, but I always liked his work. He's very unique and different. So maybe that will happen on the indie scene somewhere. Or maybe even like, uh, I don't know. I see it's so hard to say. But I guess if it was like anybody all the time, probably Andre the Giant just because of the size difference. And, I mean, it probably wouldn't be much of a match at all, but just to go through that experience. Or maybe somebody like a Kurt Henson or a Rick Rude. I always like those guys. Not bad choices at all. You know, all that would be some great matches. But as far as, you know, current wrestling, I know you said you weren't really too sure of of Daniel Bryan still being there. Or you, can't, you kind of were unsure with the New Day. But do you watch current wrestling that much anymore, or you're not really paying much attention to it? No, not really. I honestly I haven't paid any attention to it. I mean, I, I still text Ziggler and stuff, and I always tell him, like, if you're going to do something big, text me because I do want to watch it. So, like, I've seen all his big stuff happen because, I, you know, we're still, you're still buddies, you still support each other, you know? So I want to see him do the best that he can do. So when something happens, he'll let me know, like, hey, you might want to check it out or, you know, so I always watch for that. But other than that, no, I don't really, I always forget, honestly. I'm doing so much that, like, and I'm, I'm a huge football fan, so Monday Night Football takes the press over everything. Actually, last there. night I was at the game, so I didn't even have the chance to watch it anyways. <laughs> Good point. Uh, Monday Night Raw is not uh, the priority of a lot of people anymore. I mean, obviously, it's becoming um, less viewed than it was in 1997 when WCW was ruling the roost. So it kind of shows you where the, where the fans are right now, but... With NXT, that's starting to get some traction. NXT seems like it's getting popularity. Have you been uh, paying attention any, you know, at any time to NXT? Because it's a lot different than OVW. You know, the developmental has changed so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed a few things here and there, I guess just recently from last week going on the website and just, you know, browsing around and see what's new. But it's great. I love that they're giving them attention. And what's up with Samoa Joe being there? Why, why is he not on the main roster? Like, any <laughs> other Thinks that's silly? Crazy. I've been saying that. And we does he really have any dues to pay right now in developmental? Uh, it's 
crazy that he's there, and it's so funny. We just talked to uh, AJ Styles, and he said the same exact thing you just said. He said, what the hell is he doing down there? Why isn't he on the main roster? They they need him. Yeah, that's true. Oh, by the way, tell AJ I would like to work at some point in his life. It's, it's, it's possible. <laughs> that would be a good one exactly. for sure. Another team, man. I was a huge AJ fan as a kid. Oh, my God. Definitely would be a good dream match for you there as well. Yeah, that, that's just way up there. Now I just I just got to ask you know just because uh, it, it's kind of you know it's out there and uh, you know so much has been said, but with Mickey James, is there still heat there, or are you kind of just like ah eh, whatever you know you don't really care about her anymore? No, I don't think. I mean, honestly, I don't think there was ever any real heat to begin with. I mean, I mean, like I say, it's a show. People. My goal when I was training, I was told make it real as real as you can make it, as much as you can make it real. Because people, the hard part now is making people think that it's real at all. So if when people look at my stuff, they can go, "All right, he's a performer, but that's real and that's real." And I know that those things are real. So that's the real story. Like, no, it was never anything. It was just like, and I, honestly, there were times where I would text her and say, "Hey, look, I'm about to do this." So whatever heat you hear from this or backlash here, just ignore it. You know what's coming. And I would just, you know, but no, we still talk. I actually sent her a kid now, and I sent her a book. You know, like, hey, check here, cool, this is awesome. Congratulations. Hey, what do I send you? Baby clothes? I don't know. <laughs> how about a, uh, how about an authentic Kenny headband would have been, uh, that would have been a good little gift for a little guy. Hey, dollar fifty at Walmart. That's where I get them. <laughs> now, we like to end it by asking, you know, either it's a twofold question, but this one is so in one direction for you, and that is you've done so much in the last couple of years, uh, not just in wrestling, but you've done so many great things, and now you've got your master's degree, and you're doing much more than I think uh, the average wrestling fan would have ever imagined, but where do you see yourself in five years? Is it involved with wrestling? Is it still doing what you're doing now, but maybe still wrestling on the side a little bit, or you're still not, you're not even going to be 35 in five years, so please, tell us, where do you see yourself? I know, I mean, in terms of wrestling, I mean, I still do shows here and there. I just got booked for a show in March, March 11th and March 12th, Jersey Pro, so I'll be there, wrestling, doing my thing, but uh, in five years of wrestling, I mean, I'll still be doing it. I mean, my body's not beat up. I'm actually in the best shape of my life. I'm 100% healthy, so... Yeah, I'll still be around. You never know. Who knows where I'll be? In five years, you might be like, I might be the world champ. I might be an agent. I might have a wrestling school. Who knows? I'll be the TNA champ, right? Total swerve. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll be uh, five years into the epic uh, Ken Doan versus AJ Styles rivalry. That'll be building after this show uh, is published. But before we, uh, yeah, before right? we get on the road. Uh, maybe hey, we should start making some stories about AJ. That's what we should do. You know, I think we need to have a face to face. Yeah, head. he wears that headband because he's balding. You know, that's why. <laughs> he won't tell you this. He's balding. That's why he wears the headband. Oh, he wears lifts in his suit. Really, he really used to be a midget wrestler, but he wears lifts, so now he's just cruiserweight. <laughs> well, that's great. That is uh, that's very cool. And we hope uh, maybe to see that at a uh, at a show a show near you sooner or later, but. Please tell us where we can find everything there is, Ken Doan, if the fans and the listeners of the two-man power trip on a wrestling want to reach out and touch you. Where can they find Ken Doan? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Ken Doan, K-E-N-N-D-O-A-N-E, 
and uh, KingdomFit.com is my fitness blog. So uh, I'll be updating that too this week, and you know that's the best way to reach me. I mean, you can always follow me on Instagram and Snapchat or whatever it be. But if you go to KendoFit, it has links to all my social media networks. So however much of me you want to get, you can possibly get. And my Snapchat's pretty funny too. So you never know what you're going to see on that. That's yeah, awesome. that's I have... like how weird is that? Like five, two years ago, we did this interview. I'd have been like, "Hey, check my MySpace." Now I'm Snapchat. <laughs> like, who knows? In five years, it's going to be like, I don't even know what it's going to be. It's going to be hologram. Maybe I'll create be, that uh, social media. Exa- yeah, exactly. Maybe well, this, this has been amazing. You know, this has been a laugh a minute, and we really, we appreciate it. I got to say, this is definitely the. Uh, this is the most I've ever laughed on an episode. So you, uh, you really, you, you really push the entertainment factor of this show from us just trying to sound smart to making us laugh. So uh, we really appreciate that, and you know, thank you so much for coming on. This has been completely awesome. Hey, no problem. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you very much. Any other time you want to do it, or if you need somebody to just prank call other wrestlers when you get them on the show, you can always give me a heads up, and I'll be willing to do that as well. Oh, we're all in on that idea. That that's a great idea. <laughs> we might take you up on that too, which is crazy. But now, thanks a lot, man. I'm going to oh, cut it right here. But thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. All right, guys.